and we are live! You already know who it is. My name is Mike Kyle, aka the Fantasy Vulture. I have over a decade worth of fantasy football experience and have continuously competed for fantasy championships over the course of the past six seasons. Let's forget seven in 2020, but enough of me. I'm here for you on today's episode of the FV Show. We are trying something a bit different today, and this is going to be the mega episode of my Week 5 Game Recaps. Break down every single Week 5 matchup all through the lens of fantasy football. And so the way that this is going to work, it's going to be a little bit different. This is going to be anywhere, I assume, between a two and three hour video. Just me covering every single game. So if you just want to get everything all at once, this also makes things a lot easier for the podcast and also being able to update the website quickly and efficiently as well, ffvulture.com. But also, I can still do the game-by-game stuff. And what, I'm, what I plan to do is I will leave timestamps down below in the description to quickly navigate each game or whatever game you need information on. But I'm also going to upload each game on an individual basis as well, just because I like doing that. I feel like that really fits the style and the way that I want to do things. But just as a way to guarantee that I can get through every single game on the week, I love this format for it. So let's just get started, shall we? Before we get started, though, actually... Follow me on all social media platforms, at FFVulture. Like and subscribe this video. We are so, so close to 100 subscribers, and I would love to hit that by the end here of Week 5 and all the chaos surrounding it. Uh, Monday Night Football kicks off in about 45 minutes between the Chargers and the Saints. Today will not be in this video. And then, obviously, the Tuesday Night Game between the Bills and the Titans will not be featured as well. I will do two separate videos covering both of those games. But now, let's roll, shall we? Game 1. We are going to start off with the Cardinals and the Jets. So as always, let's go to the box score, right? So the Cardinals defeat the Jets by a final score of 30-10. to Cardinals improving to 3-2 and and the Jets falling to 0-5. Kyler Murray did his thing. 27 of 37 uh, passing, 380 passing yards, two touchdowns, one of them being a rushing touchdown. He also threw an interception as well. Kenyon Drake found a way to bounce back. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about him today. 18 carries. Again, the volume is there. 60 yards on the ground and a score fell into the end zone towards the end of the game. Chase Edmonds ripped off a nice touchdown run, caught five of six targets for 92 total yards. And DeAndre Hopkins continues to absolutely feast. He's seeing a 31% team target share, hauling in six of seven targets for 131 yards and a touchdown. For the Jets, there was no Sammy Darnold in this game. Joe Flacco took over because Darnold was out due to that shoulder injury. And Flacco did what you would expect a backup quarterback of his of his stature to do, right? 18 of 33 passing, 195 yards, and a touchdown. Le'Veon Bell is first game back after that hamstring injury. Uh, 13 carries, 60 yards on the ground. Didn't do anything too special there. In fact, he only got one target. More on that in just a little bit too. And Jamison Crowder, again, I was saying this going into this game. Crowder is never going to be a guy that you feel great starting. But even though Sam Darnold was out, the thing, the fact that still remained was Jamison Crowder is the only receiving option for this team. So starting him was a no-brainer because he's just going to continue to see a high level of targets. And he's obviously going to produce with said targets. So Crowder for this game... Eight receptions on 10 targets, 116 yards, and a touchdown. The Jets, again, fall to 0-5, and the Cardinals find a way to bounce back after their little slide there. They improve to 3-2. and So let's talk about it, right? We got a lot of things to talk about. There's a few game notes here that I think are really important. 
The big story here, though, is Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds. This is the thing that I was saying going into the game. It's the number one thing I was going to watch for. And just trying to get a really good understanding of what is actually taking place here with the Arizona Cardinals backfield. I said going into the week, um, if Kenyon Drake couldn't get it done against the Jets, I don't know when you could confidently start him. Luckily, he did fall into the end zone and he did finish the day with 12.7 fantasy points and half point formats. So that's fine. Obviously, it's not world burning by any means, but it's still a fine game. And the big thing here is the volume for Kenyon Drake is still there. He's just not producing. But even like, here's the thing, right? He's still not producing. And, but he's still had multiple games this year with over four yards per carry. He's had a game this year with 3.8, which obviously four is the standard, so that is a dip below. In this game, it was 3.3, but he's still getting the opportunity. 18 carries. He, again, he is still top five in the, NFL, in, the, in the NFL in rushing attempts. So for me... I'm still like I'm still he like I'm still with it. I'm still with it and maybe that's just me being blind and my love for Kenyon Drake. But even still beyond that, the snap percentage is still there. A big uh, a big point of discussion going into the week was, "Oh, we're really going to see what happens with Chase Edmonds if they utilize him more or less this week. If they shift more to Kenyon Drake and they try and get him going." He still saw 66% of snaps. Like he is still he is still the bell cow running back. For this team, the only difference still is that the receiving work isn't there. And obviously, when with a guy like Kenyon Drake, who does have that in his skill set, and we saw that last year, it's one of the things that made him such a great running back. If he doesn't have that, that is going to be a major uh, hit to his value. So Chase Edmonds comes in, scores a touchdown, only gets three carries. Like that's really important. And on one of those carries, he did break off, you know, the, the long touchdown run. So that's obviously going to inflate things. But you look at Chase Edmonds' carry counts, and it's 3-3, three, three, it's 3-3, three, 4-3. Three, three. So, this is still Kenyon Drake's backfield in that respect. The difference with Chase Edmonds is the receiving work. This is now back-to-back -back game where he has seen uh, six targets, caught five of them in both games, and was able to find his way to the end zone uh, in one of those off, off, the rece off the receiving work. So I'm still like I'm still going to be here on Kenyon Drake. My expectations are going to be lower, but I'm still in a place where I'm fine starting him. Um, obviously, you would like to see him continue to wait to make his way into the end zone. His upcoming schedule is pretty nice with Dallas and Seattle. Then a bye week coming off the bye. It's then Miami, Buffalo, Seattle again. And although and obviously as I talked about before, Buffalo's defense is more so predicated upon. Uh, is more so predicated upon shutting down receivers than it is the running back. They'll let you beat you in that, in that way. So he's got a few favorable favorable matchups over the course of the next five weeks. Kenyon Drake is probably still going to be is still going to be my lineup. Again, I am a Kenyon Drake guy, and so this this might just me being going down with the ship. Um, but I understand why you want to get off him. I'm just not ready to do it yet. He he was able to get into the end zone, like I said. Uh, if, if he wasn't able to get it done versus the Jets, then I'd be probably completely off. But he did. He looked fine. I'm still gonna stay. I'm still gonna stay afloat, stay on board. But I'm going to lower my expectations just a little bit. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, like holy shit. The question going into this year was what level of target share is he going to is he going to get? Um, over the course of his career in Houston, he was consistently at 25, 26, 27 percent. And where he fell in line with this going over to the Cardinals was obviously Christian Kirk 
and Larry Fitzgerald and Andy Isabella. They just had a lot of pieces there, so we weren't sure what this would look like. Oh, yeah, this is DeAndre Hopkins' team. Like, they took everything he was in Houston and just threw it into Arizona. He looks really, really good. He's been consistently producing at a high level still. And if you have DeAndre Hopkins, you got to be feeling really good about taking that gamble that you did uh, in the draft because there was a lot of concerns about what his value would actually be this season on a new team in a wacky offseason. So to see him uh, thrive and be successful is pretty cool. Moving over to the Jets, I'm not going to spend any time talking about Joe Flacco. I honestly don't really care. Um, but I will say this in regards to him, and this more so ties to Le'Veon Bell than anything else. I was going through Le'Veon Bell's uh, game log from last year because he's a guy who I'm actually really interested in trying to acquire at this current point in time. And the numbers were great. If you look at Le'Veon Bell's game logs, yes, there were a few dud games as well. But in half-point formats, he was consistently putting up... Let me pull this up one more time. In a half-point format, he was consistently putting up anywhere between uh, 11 and 15, or I'm sorry, 11 and 16 fantasy points per week. Um, he was really solid, really consistent in that way. Definitely not a running back one, but he is a very great and very secure running back too. So he is a guy who I've been looking into trying to acquire in multiple leagues. Uh, but he actually did decline his media availability after the game, and the speculation is because of the fact that, one, they got killed, and obviously the Jets being 0-5, obviously there's going to be some issues there, especially surrounding the head coach, Adam Gase. But number two, and more importantly, he only saw one target in this game, in a game where they were trailing pretty big throughout the majority of it. You look at uh, his stuff from last year, he was consistently seeing anywhere between uh, five to ten targets a game. And just to see that receiving work just magically disappear. And like I said, maybe that is a Joe Flacco thing more than anything else. I've, I have to actually go back through the numbers and look to see what Flacco's history is checking down the running backs. But regardless, I think Sam Darnold is going to be back, if not this week, the next. And so that, that uh, those those numbers for Le'Veon Bell's receiving work should go up yet again. I think this is actually I think this is honestly just a one game fluke. Uh, 16 carries for I'm sorry, 13 carries for 60 yards. Fine with it. Looked pretty good in that respect. Um, I'm all in and trying to acquire Le'Veon Bell. He's a guy who I think you can still get pretty cheap in your leagues. And then finally, Jamison Crowder. Again, just start him every week. He is the, uh, I talked about this going into the year. Jamison Crowder is the safest PPR wide receiver in probably all of football, at, at least outside. At this point, it's right, as of right now, he is wide receiver 22 in, in PPR formats. So I guess, the, I guess what I mean by that is, because obviously, you know, Michael Thomas is super safe or, you know, Keenan Allen, right? Um, but anybody outside of the top 12, Jamison Crowder is the safest PPR option in fantasy football. Uh, it's been like this for years, especially with his past few seasons with the Jets, it's been this way. And he was a guy who I said you need to be gunning for in your drafts. And, and again, 10 tar like you just go through the targets, right? And yes, he did miss a few games with a hamstring injury, but just through the first three games that he's actually played, 13 targets. 10 targets, 10 targets. He's just an absolute monster. And especially because of the state of this Jets wide receiving core, um, he is going to be the focal point and the feature point of this offense. All right, let's, uh, let's switch games now real quick, shall we? Let's go over to Carolina and Atlanta. This also was another great game as well. The Panthers improved a 3-2 and two on the season, defeating uh, the Falcons by a final score of 23-16. to 16. The Falcons move to 0-5, and they end up firing head coach Dan Quinn and their GM after this game. So a new era is going to be ushered into Atlanta in just a bit. Raheem Morris, their defensive coordinator, is going to be taking over 
uh, as head coach during this time. But the Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater, like Bridgewater is here now. And I'm going to talk about him in just a moment as well. But Teddy Two Gloves, 27 of 37, 313 yards and two touchdowns. Mike Davis continues to roll in absence of Christian McCaffrey. 16 carries, also caught 9 of 10 targets for 149 total yards and one touchdown. DJ Moore, the revival game was here. He had a great touchdown run. Four of five targets uh, for 93 yards and a score. And Robbie Anderson continues to produce uh, at a high level, catching eight of his 13 targets for 112 yards. And Teddy Bridgewater is just cooking right now. You know, earlier on, early on in the season, the only thing that was holding him back was the fact that he wasn't able to find his way into the end zone. And that this, this is a team that really did struggle in that part of the field. But in the past three games, Bridgewater has six total touchdowns and he is absolutely cooking. And this was the thing that I expected Bridgewater to do coming into this season. So it's finally happening. And I'm really excited about that. Moving over to the Falcons. Matt Ryan had a really bad down game this week, uh, completing 21 of 37 pass attempts for 216 yards, and or I'm sorry, 226 yards and an interception. Todd Gurley continues to get it done, and I'm going to talk about him in just a moment as well. Gurley, 14 carries, 121 yards, uh, caught four or five passes for 20 for an additional 29 yards, and he also got into the end zone as well. And Calvin Ridley continues to ball out this season catching eight passes on 10 targets for 136 yards. Julio Jones did not play in this game due to a hamstring injury. All right, let's go. I want to talk about Bridgewater. Um, the numbers admittedly still aren't there. And what I mean by that is like the fantasy point, point totals, right? In a game like this where he was, again, throwing the ball 35, 37 times, uh, completing 26 or 27 passes he still manages to only finish with around 21 fantasy points um and that's it's very very bizarre because like these are games where he should be able to continue to produce he's obviously has the weapons to do so checking down to mike davis or christian mccaffrey dj moore robbie anderson curtis samuel even has stepped up a lot this game and i thought he played pretty well so to see this happen like i'm i'm, I'm just waiting i'm just wait i'm it, i don't know it's very very weird right because 21 fantasy points is still great. I just, for whatever reason, I expect more out of him. And I think it really is just the fact that the way that this offense is structured around him, he should easily be able to be a guy who gives you 23 consistently, right? So I'm fine with Bridgewater for the rest of the year. That's my long-winded way of saying that. You look at the upcoming games. He's got Chicago, New Orleans, Atlanta again, Kansas City, Baltimore, Detroit, Minnesota, a bye week. Holy shit. Bridgewater is going to cook. It's, uh, it's going to be nice. It's going to be great. We saw DJ Moore have a great bounce back game, like I said, with him. If he couldn't get it done this week, that's when, I would finally hit my, that's when I would finally hit the panic button on him. So to see DJ Moore come through and have a sign of life, I know that gave a lot of fantasy managers a sigh of relief. Robbie Anderson continues to do his thing, and Christian McCaffrey should be back. And I, I actually saw the point being raised again. Um, and it's something that I kind of forgot about for whatever reason. Uh, the joke was being made that the Carolina Panthers paid Christian McCaffrey all that money just to have Mike Davis be Christian McCaffrey uh, on a far better contract, right? So having Mike Davis ball out the way that he has is actually unbelievable. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this per se in the sense of, because we've seen Latavius Murray come in when Alvin Kamara was out and Murray finishes as a top five running back, right? But their styles are very, very different. 
But what the Panthers did with Mike Davis so far, and this, this run is probably going to be over relatively soon whenever CMC comes back. But yo, they just they they just printed out a they just printed out a Christian McCaffrey label and stuck it on the shirt of Mike Davis. And they said, you are, you are Christian McCaffrey, your name is Mike Davis, but you are Christian McCaffrey on the field. You look at what Mike, what Mike Davis has done in the absence, and it's, it's truly absurd. Uh, I had the unfortunate luck of facing Mike Davis and Todd Gurley in the same league this week. My opponent had both of them, and I got steamrolled uh, by, by the two. Uh, Mike Davis, as of right now, is currently running back six, and he did not play the first two weeks of the season. It is truly, um, I shouldn't say that. He did not play the first week of the season. He played in the second in the second week versus Tampa, and that was when CMC left. Um, so he basically played four and a half weeks, and he is running back six on the year. It's, true, it's truly remarkable what the Panthers offense has done without CMC and utilizing Mike Davis in a way that is truly, truly remarkable. Uh, I, I love the Panthers going forward. I've talked about this before. They are my favorite team. I got I got my hoodie over there. Um, so this is a, like to see these things happen, especially for a fantasy relevant for for, for fantasy relevance, uh, makes me really happy because that just means I get to talk about my favorite team a lot because they have because because they have a lot of players who I get to talk about and I get to tell you if you should start them or sit them and things of that nature. Um, let's see. All right, let's go over the Falcons now. I think I've talked about the Panthers enough here. Matt Ryan, we are in an interesting point with him where he has now given you three trash games in a row. Um, and that is very bizarre. Obviously, Julio being out is a big part of that. But even still, he's had Calvin Ridley. He's had Hayden Hurst, who unfortunately we have to talk about, RIP. Um, Russell Gage. And so he's like these weapons he still has. And for whatever reason, Ryan just hasn't been able to get it done. I know that there is this... Um, I know that there is a trend with Ryan going over through... Can, can I look at this? Yes, there we go. There's a trend with Matt Ryan where he'll have one really great fantasy season and the next one's a down year and then it goes back up and the next one's a down. Um, but even that being said, he was actually... Like, this was supposed to be the up year for him. I dropped my pen. This was supposed to be the up year for him. And it just hasn't happened. Obviously, he had the two really great games to kick off the season versus Atlanta and Dallas, but since then, um, and these numbers are actually a bit inflated uh, by about two or three points uh, based upon my own league scoring, so just take that into consideration here. Um, 13 points, 15, and 8, so he has not been good, and in the quarterback position where you know you're facing teams who are going to put up 25 at that position, you can't afford to have dud games like that. I have a lot of concerns for Matt Ryan going forward. But a player who I do not have concerns about going forward, there's two of them. It's Todd Gurley and it's Calvin Ridley. I'm going to smash these two together. Calvin Ridley, it's pretty simple. He is the wide receiver one on this team as currently stands. I do not care about Julio Jones. That is something that I did that I got wrong this offseason. Um, there, there was obviously a ton of buzz about Ridley this year. And I said that I think I had Ridley coming in as my wide receiver 14 or 15 uh, for the year. And I'm like, I felt like we were... I really did feel like we were 
gassing up Calvin Ridley too much. But yo, he's come through. He's produced at extremely high levels, extremely consistent. Uh, even this week versus Carolina, the whole f first half, he was an absolute dud. Even a dud for the, mo for the majority of the third quarter and absolutely turned it up during the last 20 minutes of this game. And he came through with a great performance yet again for you. But I want to talk about Todd Gurley. I talked about Gurley, I think, in my game preview for this game. Um, and I was basically saying, you need to keep Todd Gurley. There is a lot of chatter about Gurley and what you should do with him. And if you, if you can sell high and you can get a great value in return, I guess do it. But here's the thing that you need to understand, and that's Todd Gurley's schedule before the bye week. Um, he plays Minnesota next week. He then plays Detroit, Carolina again, and then Denver. And Denver's run defense is fine. It is what it is, but still, they're, they're beatable in that way. We just so like he has a, he has another he has another set of three great matchups at three maybe four right. Um, I'm really excited for Gurley going forward. He's a guy who I'm just like, he's just been able to consistently find his way into the end zone. Again, this offense still, even even despite Matt Ryan's struggles on paper, uh, they still move the ball at a good enough rate to get those end zone and uh, inside the five opportunities for Gurley. And he was running eff effectively um, really well yesterday against the bad Carolina Panthers defense. And he faces them again in just three weeks. The other bright side for me in this game was that he was actually involved in the passing game. And that's something that I really want to see going forward uh, with this new coaching change. I hope that they get him more involved. Uh, for the first time since week one, he has had he had five targets in this game. So I'm really encouraged by that. That was one thing I felt like it was holding him back. Um, but he's here. Even if he is still seeing only 57% of the snaps, which just... He's producing at a monster level and he is still talented enough to get it done. Uh, I'm, I'm in on Gurley for a minimum the next three or four weeks. And then after that, the schedule gets a little bit rocky, but he actually does face uh, the Raiders in Week 12, and we know what running backs do to them. Uh, and then finally, we need to talk about Hayden Hurst, and it's official. Hayden Hurst is 400% droppable. It's done. The experiment is over. It's not worth it any longer. Um, from what we've seen from Hayden Hurst, it's been abysmal. It's been 6 points, 7 points, and 1.1 uh, there was also even a 5.3 game thrown in there. The only game that really saved him was that was that uh, was that eight for or I'm sorry was that five for 72 in one game versus Dallas where he did catch that long touchdown in the second quarter. Uh, it's just it just hasn't been good. It just hasn't been good for for Hayden Hurst. And actually, the only game the only reason why he actually put up that 6.6 .6 game versus Chicago is because he had that one yard touchdown, which obviously inflated his overall production. Uh, as a, as currently stands, I'm uh, I'm not thrilled about Hayden Hurst. I do think he's droppable. Um, it obviously depends on who is on your tight end waiver wire. Admittedly, I held on to Hurst too long, and I was I'm I'm in a bit of a desperation mode right now. So we'll see what happens there. I'll probably give you guys an update or just give some names throughout the week uh, who you can consider. But at this point, Hayden Hurst, it seems like bust is written all over him, and that makes me sad because he was a guy who I hyped up a lot this offseason. Alright, let's move on to the next game, shall we? And that is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. And let's just move over here. So, the Ravens slashed the Bengals by a final score of 27-3. to 
making the Bengals fall to 1-3-1. and one. The Ravens bump up to 4-1 and one, atop the division. Actually, the, the Steelers by one percentage are still one spot higher than them. But the Bengals, Joe Burrow, 19 of 30 for 183 yards and, a, and an interception. Joe Mixon, I want to talk about him in this in this in this video. 24 carries, six of eight through the air, and 94 total yards. T. Higgins continues to impress, uh, catching four passes on eight targets for 62 yards. And Tyler Boyd came through for a shallow game of six targets, four receptions for 42 yards. AJ Green left this game in the second quarter with a hamstring with a hamstring injury, unsurprisingly. On the other side, with Lamar, or with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, Jackson had a pretty bad game, all things considered. Like, this was something where he should have absolutely lit up the Bengals. Uh, he completed 19 of 37 attempts for 180 yards, two touchdowns, and a really bad interception. Hollywood Brown hauled in 6 of 10 targets for 77 yards and a score. And Mark Andrews did his, his thing, catching 6 passes on 9 targets for 56 yards and a touchdown. Lamar Jackson only had 2 carries in this game. It was a bit absurd, all things considered. So let's talk about Joe Mixon, because he's actually the big, the big story here for me. And I tweeted this yesterday during the game. Joe Mixon is matchup proof. We, we, I'm sorry, I understand that he's busted before and during the early parts of the year, and he's, been made, he's made a lot of fantasy managers very, very angry and very upset. But Joe Mixon is matchup-proof. And the reason why is because regardless of what happens, he is still going to get the ball 20-plus times a game. And that is a volume that you cannot buy. It is... Like they they were getting smoked. Like they were, it was a shutout. It was tw it was twenty to zero. They were getting smoked, and he is still just getting the ball left, right, and center, uh, up the middle to the outside. Heavily involved in the passing game now for back to back weeks, which is which is the big improvement for him. Um, that they just realized, like they they this team literally just realized, hey, Joe Mixon is three times better than Gio Bernard. Let's give him the ball more. So that, that's where we're at. I'm not concerned about Joe Mixon at all going forward. Um, neither should you. Yes, the schedule is still a bit rocky before the bye week, but I don't care. When you're getting the ball in this game a literal 30 times uh, between carries and, uh, and uh, catches, like, how do you sit him from your lineup? Are you insane? Um, and he, he, obviously, he obviously is a talent to take any one of those to the house on any given play. Joe Mixon is in your lineup every single week. I don't want to hear anything otherwise. He is an absolute great running back in the NFL. Um, T. Higgins. T. Higgins is here. This is now the fifth, fourth straight week where I've said T. Higgins is here. It's official. Like, like we're dead. Like, A.J. Green, and this is also an A.J. Green take. A.J. Green is dead. Um, he is gone. Drop him. Find somebody else off the waiver wire. There's a lot of waiver wire gold uh, during the current point of this NFL season. Where you can easily, you might be able to drop T, you might be able to drop AJ Green for T Higgins if he's still available, right? We like, please just do that. Just literally do the same thing that the Bengals did and pass the torch from one wide receiver to the other. T Higgins is here. It's his, um, it's actually his fourth straight game with uh, six plus targets. It's his uh, third straight game with seven plus. He's just being heavily involved, heavily targeted, and this was what I was saying about T Higgins all offseason long which was 
very whenever a team drafts a rookie quarterback and a rookie wide receiver in the same draft let alone one round apart right uh t higgins was an early second round pick and burrow obviously being the first pick in the draft that usually means that the plan is to stack these two for the next 10 years right um and with that being said it's just a continuously budding chemistry uh higgins again i believe led the yeah higgins again led the Bengals in snap percentage uh, at the wide receiver position this is this is just what it is going forward it's t higgins as the number one option uh for this team maybe maybe 1a 1b with tyler boyd depending on how you cut that because boyd is still an excellent uh, receiver and boyd is still being heavily targeted as well i guess i should say that uh higgins is the number one receiver on the outside and obviously Boyd it does the majority of his work uh in the slot as well I'm not worried about Boyd going forward this was a really tough matchup against the Bengals all things considered moving over um this was a really tough matchup against the Ravens excuse me all things considered speaking of the Ravens and moving over to them yo Lamar Jackson I'm I'm getting frustrated and I'm sure you guys are too um I didn't remember I my stake in Lamar Jackson isn't the fact that I drafted him in the second or third round of a league. Uh, it's the stake that I have him as my dynasty quarterback. And granted, I did get him in the 21st round of my startup draft two years ago. Um, but I guess like that's the point, right? Um, this, even if you did draft him in that second or third round where you have more on the line, I, it doesn't take a rocket science to look at this Ravens offense so far during the early parts of this year. And this shit's broken. It doesn't look good. It looks stagnant. Lamar is missing throws that he's that he normally is able to make. There's obviously a lot of criticism about his passing ability. I don't give a fuck. Um, he's he's demonstrated time and time again he can be a great passer in the league. But just to see this 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 offense that looked like such a juggernaut last year uh, just come to a screeching halt is really mesmerizing. Um, it's head-scratching, it's dumbfounding, and it just doesn't make sense, especially when you look at what Kansas City's still doing, and they're still fucking cooking with fire over there. Uh, just so, so to see the Ravens continue to struggle, it's a bit... I'm not, con- I'm not fully concerned, but I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck happened. Uh, like, Lamar Jackson in this game had two carries, like I said. Two carries for three yards. That is that that like, that is not supposed to happen, right? The reason why we love Lamar is because of the fact of what he can do on the ground with his legs. So to see him not even get the work, it's it's that confusing, right? And there was there was obviously the notion of we're gonna pass more. And granted, they did in this game. He had 37 pass attempts, um, but he only completed 19 of them for 180 yards and a score. So. If you're going to take away, if you're going to take away the rushing ability, right, then you better be able to take that and transfer that over to the air game, and it just hasn't yet. You look at what he's done so far uh, in the in the in the passing attack. Um, it's 204 yards, 97 yards passing, 100 and, and 193, and then 180. So he's even struggling to get over 200 at this point. And, you know, last year, if that was the case, obviously the difference is that he was such a threat on the ground where it was a lot of, it was a lot of reads and a lot of draws, a lot of quarterback options, things like that. Um, but the, again, the issue is that you're taking away from the strength and you're not applying it to the other aspect of his game. 
and that's just something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, all things considered. I'm not going to trade Lamar or anything like that because Lamar Jackson's still a fucking superstar in the NFL and better days are ahead. I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on now with this Ravens offense. Speaking of, the three-headed monster between J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, and Gus Edwards is still an absolute nightmare. You can't trust any of them. Mark Ingram finally surpassed 10 carries. He had 11 for 57 yards. And the reason why I didn't include any of them in the box score is just because nobody stood out. Nobody did anything important. Uh, the snap percentages are still uh, 35, like they're still 35, 35, 25. It doesn't matter. There's no way to indicate who's going to play well. And regardless, between the three of them, if they're all getting 30% of the work, bleh, like what Like what are you supposed to do in that scenario? My best advice now at this point is you need to cut bait. Um, I'm fine selling J.K. Dobbins is droppable. Gus Edwards is droppable. Uh, and Mark Ingram, I'd, I'd look to trade off name value, at least try and get something back in return. Don't go crazy, try and make some some absurd offer, uh, take like some offer to receive for him because it's not going to work and you're just going to get pretty frustrated. Uh, understand his worth, you can probably get a wide receiver three for him for a team that is needy at the running back position. Uh, or even if you want to try and find an upgrade, maybe you trade Mark Ingram for Leonard Fournette in the hopes that Fournette takes over. Um, or maybe you try and get a Justin Jackson for Mark Ingram with Austin Eckler being out for the next handful of games uh, with that hamstring injury. Just a lot of things that you can try and do. I don't, I don't know the market for Mark Ingram, but I'd, I'd at least try and trade him before you actually cut bait with him. Um, Hollywood Brown. I want to talk about him for just a moment. This is the big, this is the big sad, sad, sad story for me. Uh, I tried to trade for Hollywood this this week before this game. I knew he was probably going to break out this game. He's got Philadelphia next week, um, and then a bye week. But there was, you know, there was a lot of hype with uh, Brown go, coming into this offseason and him taking the next step. And he hadn't really done it yet, all things considered. But this matchup versus Cincinnati was just so prime for him to do it. I tried to get him this week, and of course, I got the classic. Let me see how he does this week before I make my decision. In a fucking course, Hollywood gets 10 targets, hauls in six of them for 77 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, it's an unfortunate. It's an unfortunate situation for me. Uh, I'm still. I. I don't think the deal is dead by any means, but it's obviously going to be a much steeper climb in order to get Hollywood because I do feel like I'm a wide receiver away and I would love to have him on my team. Um, but j just stay the course with Hollywood. Uh, like I said, Philadelphia next week, that's a pretty good matchup. Uh, we'll see if Darius Slay is on him uh, and in the bye week, but Hollywood for the rest of the season should be a fine start uh, if you need to, right? I mean, Hollywood has never really been the guy where uh, he's your number two wide receiver. Um, he's typically your number three or number four who you're fine starting any given week and it looks like that's probably going to be the trend going forward um anything else from this game mark andrews good to mark andrews things i'm not concerned about him in the slightest had a touchdown and 57 yards after a bounce back game right last week he dudded uh no it was two weeks ago he dudded against kansas city my bad yeah mark andrews top top three uh, top three tight end just going forward he's a touchdown machine and i, t I said this actually on twitter uh, yesterday the there are two yeah like there has to be two there are two stacks in fantasy that are the best number one is Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and number two is Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews and the reason why it's not a breezing Camara, and the reason why it's not Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry which is another stack that I love I've talked about that time and time again the reason why it is 
the reason why it's the two quarterbacks and the two tight ends, it's because they are both positional game breakers, right? Lamar Jackson and Mahomes are a quarterback cheat code. They are go they are players who can get you 30 plus on any given week. They can explode, they can win you weeks. And the same goes for their tight ends. And tight end, obviously, the landscape for a tight end, you got your top three, then everybody else, right? And so the fact that you can have that stack with these two game-breaking quarterbacks and these two game-breaking tight ends, it's magic. It really, really is. And the fact that I have that in a dynasty league, oh my god, it's it makes my life so much easier because I know set it, forget it, don't worry about the rest, only focus on the other eight players that you're starting on the week. But that's going to do it for this game. Recap, let's move over to the next game, shall we? And let's talk about the Colts and the Browns, okay? The Browns, the Cleveland Browns are 4-1. and one. What, a, what a world are we in? Where's my thing at? There we go. Um, the Browns improved to 4-1, and one, defeating the Colts by a final score of 32-23. to 23. Phillip Rivers and the Colts continue to struggle in the passing game. 21 of 33 for 243 yards and two interceptions. Jonathan Taylor, 12 carries, 57 yards, and a touchdown. T.Y. Hilton, welcome back from the dead, my man. Appreciate you coming around for the 2020 NFL season. Welcome aboard just a few weeks late. 10 targets, 6 receptions for 69 yards. Jonathan Taylor, another top 15 running back finish. I'll talk about him in just a moment. On the other side with the Browns and Baker Mayfield, who was dinged up in this game with a rib injury, played through it, x-rays came back, were negative. Mayfield, 21 of 37 for 247 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. Kareem Hunt without Nick Chubb, again, top five running back, bar none. Tw uh, 12 or, I'm sorry, 20 carries, 93 total yards, and a touchdown. And Jarvis Landry had a pretty good game as well. Of course, the week after I say that I'm really concerned about Landry, he comes through and plays decently well uh, for you if you had to start him. Hauling in four of nine targets for 88 yards. Uh, Austin Hooper, I want to talk about him. 17 targets the past two games after dudding essentially for the first three weeks of the season. He's really come on strong as the year has progressed and he, it looks like that there is budding chemistry between Baker Mayfield and Hooper. But again, one of the things that we really look for at the tight end position is volume. And if he is going to see a consistent target share now at this point between seven targets in week four and 10 this week uh, versus the Colts, that's volume that you can probably count on going forward. So I'm really excited for Hooper in that way. I want to see if it's going to keep up as the year progresses. Um, all right, let's go back to camera here. I'm going to talk about Jonathan Taylor first because I don't. I really don't have a whole lot to say about the Colts' other offensive pieces here. There's. I I don't know if it's just what I'm seeing, but I have continuing. I have continuously seen people panic about Jonathan Taylor, right? When Marlon Mack went down, the the anticipation was Jonathan Taylor's top, a top five running back. Like, this is it, right? Um, and maybe, admittedly, that was a bit too ambitious, right? But Jonathan Taylor still seeing 50% of snaps because of Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. He's still getting it done. And I'm going to have to say this probably every week now going forward. I know I've talked about this before in the past as well. Again, this is a floor. This is a floor game for Jonathan Taylor of 12 carries, 57 yards, 
two receptions for 17 yards and a touchdown. This is a floor game for Jonathan Taylor. I'm going I'm to say this again. A floor game for Jonathan Taylor. He finished this week again as a top 15 running back. He is running back 13 on the year, and he has not had a boom game yet. He's had maybe one versus Minnesota where he scored 18 points. But outside of that, it has been a consistent, it's been a consistent 12 points a week, and that's fine. That is fine for a guy that you drafted in that fourth, fifth round this season. And he's obviously a rookie, and he's only going to get better as the year uh, progresses. But I'm just, I'm so, if you're a Jonathan Taylor owner, I don't know how you can be anything other than happy. You just have such a consistent option where you know you'll end up getting 64 yards, fall into the end zone once, and you'll be fine. You'll be set with a 12-point game every single week, right? I'm really excited just about Taylor going forward on the year, and I actually think he fits in the same category as Clyde Edwards-Alaire of just two running backs where the expectations were so high. And even though, they're, they're, even though they aren't at their expectations, they're maybe a step and a half below, which means you are able to try and get Jonathan Taylor or Clyde Edwards-Alaire for cheap. I want to talk about Clyde in just a little bit when we talk about the Chiefs and the Raiders. Um, but you're just in a position where I try and make an offer for Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards-Alaire almost immediately. Uh, these are two guys who are playing at their floor right now, and their ceiling and their, and their potential haven't even been touched or we haven't even scratched the surface. Uh, of them. Uh, moving over to the rest of the Colts, Philip Rivers, like you're done, you're not, you weren't starting him anyway, hopefully, like you should officially be done after this. Uh, they just don't look good. They don't move the ball consistently, and if they do, it's just little baby plays. It's nothing big. Uh, Rivers had a few really bad interceptions and just bad throws in general in this game. It's nice to see T.Y. Hilton come back and have a fine performance, but I still don't think you're, I still don't think you're excited to start him or you're really even willing to start him going forward. Uh, 10 targets, though, like that's really hard to scoff at. That's easily the most uh, on the year. He actually had nine targets in week one versus Jacksonville, but it's been 5-5-5 five, five, five ever since then. Uh, I, I'm still off TY for now. I just, I, ju I just don't trust it. I just don't trust it. And as we approach this, and as we approach this bye week season and the COVID season and just the reshuffling of games here, Flexibility is important, so if you need to play T.Y., you can at any given point, uh, but just understanding where he falls in terms of your wide receivers, right? Uh, so, for example, if you have Robert Woods, Allen Robinson, and T.Y. Hilton, you need to order those guys in a way that makes sense, kind of like how we do tiering in, in the in the pre-draft process, you know, like your tier of running backs, tier of, your second tier, your third, like, right? You need, you need to do that with your roster. And you need, to, you need to look at who are my top tier wide receivers, who's my second tier. Uh, I, I consider those guys as uh, replacements so like for bye weeks, right? Let's just say for Robert Woods, you're starting him every single week. Well, when Robert Woods is on, is on a bye, who am I playing in place of him? So just things like that and really understanding the, the landscape of your roster and what is the situation of when you're actually going to play T.Y. Hilton. Uh, I started Mowally Cox this week because I had to. Uh, I, I wasn't comfortable starting Hayden Hurst, and I had Robert Tanyan last week who was on a bye this week with the Packers. Um, so I had to start Mowally Cox, and Mowally Cox put up a zero. Trey Burton was heavily involved, but he did nothing, and Jack Doyle was non-existent. Just please stay away from the Colts outside of Jonathan Taylor and Ricardo Blankenship, who proves again to be one of the best kickers in the NFL. The rookie, the goggles, the safety 
uh, the safety goggles. He's the number two kicker on the year. He's balling out. And this is what I look for in kickers. I know I don't talk about kickers hardly at all uh, on this on this channel or on this show. Uh, but the thing I always look at for kickers is give me offenses that are good enough to move the ball but aren't good enough to score. And that is the Indianapolis Colts in a nutshell. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars in a nutshell. It's uh, what's another team? It is the San Francisco 49ers in a nutshell. Uh, and that one's obviously a little bit different because they do have some star players with Mostert and Kittle and things like that. But like that is a team that is going to consistently move the ball to the 30 or 35-yard line, maybe not be able to punch it in, and then they settle for field goals. And that's where you're going to rack up all their points. A Michael Badgley uh, of, of the Chargers is a great candidate. He's one of my kickers uh, for that reason. So Blankenship and Jonathan Taylor for the Colts moving forward. Uh, going over to the Browns, not a whole lot that I want to talk about in this game. Uh, Mayfield was fine. Again, you're never really going to start him. He just doesn't have that ceiling uh, to where to where he's going to explode on any given week. And even then, his floor is pretty low as well because of the fact this team is so run-heavy. Uh, Kareem Hunt, speaking of, balled out uh, coming in with 16.8 uh, fantasy points and half-point formats. You would love to see that number be a bit higher, admittedly, uh, but they did have some other players involved. Uh, Dearness Johnson came in, got eight carries, also had a target uh, in the receiving game as well. I'm fine with like, Kareem Hunt. Don't panic. Again, 16.8 fantasy points in week one without Chubb. Just keep starting him. Keep the train moving, and you'll be, uh, you'll be all right. With Landry, it's actually like this was actually really uh, interesting trying to decide who I wanted to put in the box score of this game because Jarvis Landry was involved. He had 10 plus fantasy points. Rashad Higgins, who whenever Rashad Higgins is on the field and actually gets work, uh, he's always been a guy who just produces and he's more so a great football. He's a better football player than a fantasy player, but and you never know when the Rashad Higgins games are actually going to come. But he's a guy who absolutely deserves more playing time because every time he is on the field, he is spectacular. He comes in with 10 plus fantasy points, and Odell comes in with 9.1. And this is just like, I, like this is just the Odell Beckham experience. And I, I told you to start Odell. I did. So that, like that, that's on me. Uh, I, I bought the dip and I bought the hype after the Cowboys game. Um, but again, nine targets, hauls in five of them, 58 yards. Like the, the targets. The volume is there, just the production isn't. And what, like, what are you, like, what can you do at that point? And I, I guess the question for me is, if it, Odell Beckham isn't a weekly start, then what is he? Is he just, is he a dart throw? Is he a swing for the fence? Is he just a supplement? Is he, um, is he matchup dependent? Right, there's a lot of questions here surrounding Odell and what he actually is and what he can be for fantasy. And so, for example, like next week versus Pittsburgh, I, I, I don't, do you play Odell in that matchup? Because that we've now seen um, games versus good defenses uh, with Baltimore, Washington, and Indianapolis now where he's, had 10, where he's had under 10 fantasy points in those contents. And then the games versus really bad defenses being Cincinnati and Dallas, He's put up double digits, uh, 15 plus in both those matchups. So if it's next week versus Pittsburgh, I don't think you can play Odell. I think that's just kind of the route that we take is Odell Beckham is now matchup dependent uh, if he's in your lineup or if he isn't. Uh, we talked about 
We talked about Austin Hooper already. That was a great catch. Uh, we talked about Austin Hooper already. Uh, five targets. I'm sorry, five receptions, ten targets. Just being more and more involved uh, in this passing game, and that's great for him. And it's also great for the tight end landscape, which is currently bleeding uh, at all levels and at all places right now. So to just have another guy who can serve some sort of relevant role, uh, that has to be intriguing and exciting for somebody going forward. If you are the Zach Ertz owner, if you are the Hayden Hurst owner, if you are the Tyler Higby owner, uh, which are all players who have basically just gone from here to here uh, in just a matter of a few weeks. All right. Uh, let's move over to this next game, and that is going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houston Texans. Where is mine? There we go. The Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houston Texans. The Texans get their first win of the season, defeating Jacksonville by a final score of 30-14. to Both teams now are 1-4. and Gardner Minshew. Minshew does it again. I've only been screaming this now <laughs> for three months. What? what how, how long have I been doing this? Uh, August, September. We're in October now. I started halfway. It, I started halfway in July, so basically three months now at this point. Uh, Gardner Minshew is an incredible fantasy option for you. He's going to get it done, um, and it really is just a matter of trusting him to do it. Right, that's the big thing. Starting Gardner Minshew, you're you're never going to feel great about it. But when the results are a consistent twenty plus fantasy points, what else can you do? So Minshew. Uh, 31 of 49 passing, 300 yards, two touchdowns, and a fumble. James Robinson came down to earth finally. 13 carries, caught five of seven targets for 70 yards. Also had a really, really bad fumble on fourth and one in the fourth quarter. And LaVisca Chenault uh, steps up yet again. Seven tar I'm sorry, seven receptions on eight targets for 79 yards. And DJ Chark left the game in the fourth quarter due to an ankle injury, but even before the injury, DJ Chark was non-existent, and he's a guy who I have steady concerns over yet again. Or actually, finally, should I say, because I held on on I held out on on hitting the on hitting the red button on Chark for as long as I could. More on him in just a little bit. Uh, for the other side, though, the Texans in their first game without Bill O'Brien, they improved a one and zero without Bob. Deshaun Watson let loose. 25 of 37, I'm sorry, 25 of 35 for 359 yards, two interceptions, but he also was able to find the end zone three times. David Johnson, 17 carries, 96 yards, and Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks both balled out. Fuller got in the end zone, also caught four of eight targets for 58 yards, and Brandon Cooks, welcome back from the dead. Cooks, 12 targets, eight receptions for 161 yards, and one touchdown. So let's go back to my camera. Where are we at? There we go. Let's talk about this. With Minshew, again, I, I really do want to reiterate just how great Minshew has been this season. Gardner Minshew is currently QB12. He is a quarterback one, and that's... Woo! Let's go. Um, like Minshew is just a great option if you have a Carson Wentz, if you have a Matt Ryan... Or you have another struggling quarterback, maybe a Jared Goff, just because of Goff's inconsistencies. Um, there really is just a world where he's going to finish in, as a top 10 quarterback. And it's because of this team. You look at the games that he's had, and it's it's just 20 points versus, Indi versus Indianapolis in week one. 20 points versus Tennessee in week two. The dud game in week three, which is going to leave scars. That was, that was a Thursday night game versus Miami. But he comes back off of that with a 20-plus performance uh, versus Cincinnati and another 20-plus game versus Houston. And this is just what he does. 
the attempts are there, the yardage are there, the, he has great chemistry with his wide receivers, Keelan Cole, DJ Chark even, who's been struggling, um, LaVisca Chenault's come on, even the tight ends with Tyler Eifert, like he had, and obviously uh, James Robinson in the backfield, this is an offense that can score, like we've seen it, they, they just put up points, um, despite that, they're still, you know, they're still one and four, but this is the team that is going to air it out. They're going to chuck it, and they're going to find a way to, to just put some level of points on the board. It's not world-burning. It's not 35. It's not 40 points a game, but it's a consistent 20, and that's fine. That's great for fantasy purposes. Um, so I'm still all in. I'm still all in on Minshew going forward, and it's actually funny because I was trying to consider what I wanted to do with him going uh, with him going forward. I know for a fact Matt Stafford would recently hit my waiver wire, and that Stafford is a guy who I love. Uh, so I'm going to actually be trying to narrow down that decision. Uh, between picking up Matt Stafford or continue rolling with Minshew, uh, I, j I just believe I believe in both quarterbacks. Uh, I think I just like the Lions' offense just a little bit more. I just like having Kenny Galladay, uh, knowing I have him as my number one option on the outside every single week with Matt Stafford and Stafford obviously being being the gunslinger that he is. Uh, James Robinson down game, not worried about it. We've seen what he's done throughout the first four weeks. There should be nothing that concerns you. Just a fluke game for him. Lavisca Chenault. Uh, just a guy that you need to consistently uh, just stay on your radar. He might be a waiver wire ad that you need to pick up now. Uh, if you have the option, if you have the option, if you have the if you have the flexibility, and obviously flexibility is what everything's going to come down to between COVID cases and bye weeks and just the reshuffling of schedules. Uh, everything depends upon whatever level of flexibility that you have for your roster. But again, another game seeing 68% of snaps, eight targets, seven receptions. He's he's literally just. When he is on the field, he is getting looked at. And that can only, 68% uh, of snaps can only continue to happen for so long, especially if Chark is going to miss time with his ankle injury or if he just continues to uh, really just be a letdown, all things considered. Keelan Cole finds his way into the end zone yet again. This is his third touchdown of the year. He is very much touchdown or bust, uh, as we've seen throughout the first five weeks. Uh, getting into the end zone on three different games. In each of those games, he's played pretty well in all things considered. Uh, I'm not excited about starting Keelan Cole in any way, shape, or form. I have him on my, I have him on, I have him on my bench in Dynasty, and it really is one of those things where it's like, am I ever going to play him? What is he for my team? Is he just this is in case of emergency player? Is he a bye week play? Uh, I think that's really where he really uh, fits into your fantasy lineup. Is just with bye weeks coming up, uh, coming up quick and fast down the pipe. Keelan Cole might be a fine start there if you have to. Um, and then really just DJ Chark, like final point here for the Jags. It's, it's hard. It's hard. I admittedly, I don't know. I don't know what to make of Chark here because what we've seen is Chark. He missed, he missed week four here. I'm sorry. He missed week three due to that ankle injury. Uh, but before that 10 points, 10 points and 20, I'm sorry, 10 points, 10 points, misses week three, comes back week four, 25. And then again versus Houston, uh, really, really bad game, rough game, four targets, three receptions for 16 yards, and zero touchdowns, doesn't find his way into the end zone, also leaves the game with an ankle injury. We don't know the severity of that at the time that I'm recording this video. Um, but what do you do with Chark? You're not cutting him, but you also can't start him yet. I'm, just, I'm, very, I'm very, very concerned um, about what to do with Chark. He reminds me actually a lot of Odell Beckham at this point. It's when... What is he for your fantasy team? Where does he rank in your tier of wide receivers? For example, I sat Robert Woods to play DJ Chark this week, and I feel really fucking shitty about it. 
because if I were to play Robert Woods like I intended to all week long and I didn't make that uh, late pivot, I think I made that pivot on either Friday or Saturday night, but I didn't make that late pivot, um, I'd probably win my matchup this week, all things considered. Uh, but unfortunately, it's just the way that it goes. Uh, so with Chark, I think you just need to evaluate where he is in terms of your wide receiver core. Is he your third or fourth option? Um, I don't think you can rely on him as your second if that is the case. So I think you need to update or you need to upgrade from there. Uh, but if he's your third or fourth option, I think that's totally fine. And you just need to hang on to him uh, as just a depth piece at this position. Again, he's startable. It's just one of those things where you never really know at this point what level of production you're going to get because the targets just aren't there for whatever reason, even though Minshew's throwing the ball fucking 40 times a game. Uh, moving over to the Texans, Deshaun Watson, I really do just want to give big, big ups to him, came through and dominated. It's been a bit of a rocky start for Watson owners, all things considered, uh, based upon where you drafted him in that 5th, 6th, 7th round territory. He's one of the early quarterbacks that went off the board. Um, and to just see Watson really come through and be able to do things and play uh, and play aggressive and go downfield and make plays, uh, it really is just encouraging for the Texans offense as a whole moving forward. I There was a quote that came out earlier in the week before they played, and Watson was saying that him and Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator, they just have a great chemistry and they're excited to be able to, uh, to just continue to evolve and develop the offense in, uh, in ways that they know that they could uh, post Bill O'Brien. So I'm really like, they were saying things like, like they were in this together. Uh, so to see Watson come out versus Jacksonville and like, luckily, uh, I guess, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on how you slice it, the Jags were missing a lot of star players in this game. CJ Henderson was inactive. Uh, Henderson was inactive. Josh Allen was, in, was inactive. And so was Miles Jack. So this defense was absolutely shredded. And so this was a game where Deshaun Watson could absolutely uh, torch them. Uh, but not only that, you know, like this, even though this defense was weak in that way, just to be able to have a game like this that can give Deshaun Watson and the Texans offense confidence moving forward, I think is really big. I don't care if it's the Jaguars, just being able to have a game like this is really important going forward. Uh, David Johnson, you need to play him every single week. This is the, like, I've been just banging this drum for David Johnson. He is as consistent of a fantasy running back as you can get. He's not a world burner anymore. Those days are long gone. But he is now in the same kind of territory as Le'Veon Bell, as even uh, Jonathan Taylor, where you're going to get a consistent 10 to 13 fantasy points every single week. And as your number two running back, you'll take that. Like, what is wrong with that? Uh, we need to learn to find ways to let go of... To let go of the past, reevaluate, and then proceed with the future and understanding the value that a player actually has for fantasy. And this is David Johnson, right? David Johnson uh, gets traded for, uh, gets traded for, and, and the Texans give up DeAndre Hopkins. And everyone's saying, well, David Johnson's washed. Was he, though? Because if you look at some of the numbers from Arizona, they really weren't bad. He had that injury that really set him back, and then the team trades for Kenyon Drake, and then he gets out of the rotation trying to come back from the injury. And he was just had a banged-up year. But he started the year as a top-12 running back. He was looking very, very good uh, during the early parts of last season. And here we are now, 18 points, 16, 10, and 11 
This is just like this is just like production that you're going to get from David Johnson. Again, he's no longer a running back one, but he is a great and safe running back two, or even your third running back if you were able to get him uh, in the fifth round if he slid that far in your draft and you already were able to lock up two others. He's currently running back uh, 23 in PPR formats. He's even 20 in standard. Uh, just David Johnson. Just keep him in your lineup. He's doing great things for you. Uh, again, for the Texans uh, wide receivers. I need to owe Will Fuller an apology for the fucking fourth time this season. I, I'm in. I, I'm, I'll say it. I, I am. I'm officially in on Will Fuller. You have to play him if you have him. Uh, he's seeing the targets. He's getting the yardage. He's finding his way into the end zone. Will Fuller. Uh, he he's here. He's officially the Texans' number one wide receiver. I know Brandon Cooks had a great game as well, and I think Cooks' value long term is actually going to continue to improve. Uh, but Will Fuller, he's done. He's just done great things for your fantasy team. If you uh, have, if you have started him, if you've suffered through the dud in week two, if you suffered through the hamstring injury uh, in week four, it's uh, it's just, it's just, it is, it's really cool to see uh, Will Fuller, a guy, to finally be able to maintain some sort of consistency for fantasy football. And Brandon Cooks, like I said, twelve targets, eight receptions. I, I think this is actually going to be the biggest change. Um, for the Houston Texans offense going forward. And that really is just getting Brandon Cooks more involved, getting Brandon Cooks out in space, going deep, throwing, uh, you know, getting big chunk plays. Uh, Cooks is still a very, very talented wide receiver. Uh, I, think really, I really just think it's a matter of it just, had, it just hadn't happened for him. And you also have to remember that he's been now in this point four different teams in six years. The Saints, the Patriots, the Rams, and now the Texans. Uh, so he's just a guy that's really moved around. And I think you can actually make the argument that uh, Deshaun Watson is the best quarterback, at least at this point, that he has played with. He's played with an aging uh, Drew Brees. He's played with an aging uh, Tom Brady. Uh, Jared Goff is whatever you make Jared Goff out to be. But I think in terms of just pure talent, Deshaun Watson is the best quarterback that uh, Brandon Cooks has played with. Um and that has to be really exciting for Brandon Cooks owners if you've been able to hold on this long. Uh, and maybe even just look to see if Brandon Cooks is on your waiver wire just because he really hadn't performed over the over uh, three of the first four weeks. So he might be there. He might be a great pickup if he is on your in your on your uh, on your waiver wire. So Alright, let's move over to the next game. That's all I really got for this game, all things considered. Um, oh, speaking of, speaking of Jared Goff, we're gonna talk about the Rams and the Washington football team next. The Rams slashed Washington by a final score of 30 to 10. The Rams improved to 4-1. Washington falls to 1-4. And, and what a really uh, special game this was. Uh, Alex Smith comes in for the first time since 2018. Obviously, he had a gruesome injury uh, during that season. There was then complications with his leg post-surgery. It got infected and almost amputated. Uh, they had to take part of his muscle from his left leg and, and apply it to the right, if I'm not mistaken. Just a lot of chaos happening around him. So to see him be able to come in this game after Kyle Allen uh, gets hit pretty hard uh, and to actually just be able to play in the NFL was truly, truly special and really one of the best moments of 2020, all things considered. But let's talk about the Rams first. Jared Goff, 21 of 30 for 309 yards. And three touchdowns, also through an interception. Daryl Henderson, Daryl Henderson won the Rams run, won the Rams running back wheel for the week. 
15 carries, 68 total yards, and two touchdowns. Robert Woods, 71 yards, and a score. And Gerald Everett caught all four of his targets for 90 yards. Cam Akers had nine had nine rushes for six, for 61 yards, and Malcolm Brown had eight rushes for 30 yards. Again, everyone is going to be involved, but we have no idea who's going to be, who's going to be the lead back on a week to week basis. You're playing with fire if you're starting anybody on the Rams. Moving over to Washington, the quarterbacks combined uh, for tw- uh, for 18 of 30 for 101 yards. And one touchdown, it was not pretty. The Rams' defense was all over the Washington quarterbacks all games. Washington's offensive line was a disaster. And the Rams, I believe, finished with six sacks on the day. Aaron Donald had four of them. Uh, You know, best defensive player of all time. Antonio Gibson was on track to have a great game. And he really was looking good early on, uh, especially with Kyle Allen at the helm. Uh, before the injury, Gibson was being heavily targeted in the receiving game. Gibson's final line was 11 carries for 27 yards, 5 of 5 through the air uh, for 24 yards. And then Terry McLaurin had a down game, and this really was just the nature uh, of this contest. The Rams were just all over Washington on both offense and defense. McLaurin, 7 targets, 3 receptions for 26 yards. So just a few things that I want to talk about uh, for this game. There's actually not a whole lot, all things considered. I felt like this game was pretty standard, pretty cut and dry. Uh, Jared Goff, this just this, this was a good Jared Goff game that you got, and this was actually pretty expected. Uh, at least I thought Washington has been a bit shaky on all fronts, as I'm sure you guys know. Uh, so, like, this was a game where Goff was aligned to have a great game. If you started him, great. If you streamed him, even better. And then moving over to the running backs, just trying to figure out what this what this is going to look like on a week-to-week basis is just... I, I, I don't know how you can do it. I really I really don't. And th- I think what's even more frustrating, and maybe this even just falls in line with my whole take of running backs when you championships. Maybe this was, this was just a thought that I never fully articulated. One of the reasons why I say that running backs win you championships... Is because one, there's only 32 starting running back compared to you know 68, 92 uh, wide receivers that start every single week. Um, but even with running backs, yes, 32 start, but how many of them are actually valuable? 24, maybe, right? So that's why I like to load up on running backs early, and not only running backs, specifically workhorses. Like Kenyon Drake, obviously Chase Evans is involved, but still, right, getting 18 carries a game. Kenyon Drake, um, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, Zeke, Kamara, uh, CMC, Dalvin Cook, Saquon. Like, there are just so few workhorse running backs who are going to get all the work. And that's why running backs are so valuable. And, like, it's just, it's a very, very weird um, especially maybe during even like this season, right? To see all the backfields that are fantasy irrelevant. The Rams backfield, yes, there are guys who are playing well. Uh, we've, see, we've seen the Malcolm Brown week. We've seen the Daryl Henderson weeks. Uh, but knowing who to start on, a, on, a, on any given week is impossible. So the Rams backfield is out. The Detroit Lions backfield is an absolute mess with Adrian Peterson, Kerryon Johnson, and DeAndre Swift. The Baltimore Ravens backfield is an absolute mess. Uh, so there's three right there that are just a no that are just a no go. Uh, you can make the argument that we are approaching um, 
No, I'll say I'll save that. I disagree with that. I was gonna I was gonna say maybe the San Francisco 49ers between between McKinnon and Mostert, but I still think they each serve their own value. I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, entering the uh, without Saquon, uh, the Giants uh, the Giants backfield could have been an absolute disaster. Trying to, to decide between uh, Devonta Freeman, Wayne uh, Wayne Gallum, uh, Wayne Gallman. I said Wayne Gallum, Wayne Gallman, and Dion Lewis. Uh, but to actually, ju- uh, the Patriots running backs are an absolute nightmare now, right? Um, just a lot of just teams are just so committee based. And my fear, this is the long-winded way of me saying, my fear is that the committee model is going to be the future of the NFL. And the reason why is just because there are more good running backs than the NFL can actually keep up with. And I actually think it's going to be a really smart move that uh, that teams are going to roster two, two incredibly talented running backs. Uh, you're going to see a lot of 50-50 timeshares, and that's really just going to be a way to keep guys fresh and keep guys active. Uh, so the Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, like, that's going to continue to be a thing. Uh, the Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, that's going to be a thing. Uh, the Zach Moss and Devlin Singletary in Buffalo, that's going to be a thing. I really think this is just, I really think that this is going to be a trend that is going to hit every single NFL team at some point. So please enjoy the workhorse running backs while you can because you can't end up in a situation like either of these teams actually, now that I think about it, uh, with both of their backfields being absolute messes. Uh, Robert Woods, another great game from him. Cooper Cup, fine performance from him, not too concerned about that. Uh... Tyler Higby, we actually had to talk a little bit about. This is now three straight games after the three-touchdown game versus Philadelphia where he has been almost a non-factor. Uh, it's not looking great for Higby. Sorry, I had to yawn. I'm not, I'm not willing to jump ship off Higby, and the reason why is I really do just think that this, that this offense is too good. This offense is too good. The tight ends are still being involved. Uh, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Not, not just yet. The only concerning thing is that the targets still aren't there. And I know I just said the tight ends aren't, are involved, but like between the two of them, they're still involved. Uh, so as a collective, they are, uh, but just looking like Higby in a game like this, only had two targets, two receptions, like it's not great. Really before that, uh, four targets, three receptions. So I'm not ready to jump ship off Higby yet. But it is something I am considering. I'm I'm walking towards the plank uh, to get rid of Higby. And I, if you are in that spot, uh, luckily I am not. But if you are, you need to start looking ahead at who's on your waiver wire and who you can pick up now, maybe even a week out. Uh, just so if you have to make that decision to cut bait with Higby next week, you already have their replacement uh, on your roster. Uh, moving over to Washington now, Kyle Allen and Alex Smith. Uh, just got obliterated by this by this Rams defensive line and Aaron Donald specifically. I didn't think Kyle Allen looked awful. Uh, nine, 9 of 13 specifically for him for 74 yards and a touchdown. Uh, so that's fine. I, I've i watched Kyle Allen for fucking... How many games did Kyle Allen start last year? 13? I, no. Yeah, it would have been 13 because Cam played 2 and then Will Greer started 1. So I watched Kyle, Kyle Allen... For 13 games last week, I know exactly what he was, and it was actually really funny. Uh, Jordan Rodriguez, who writes for The Athletic and covers the Rams, she covered the Panthers last year. And just reading her tweets about Kyle Allen yesterday, she's like, deja vu, I've seen all this before. Uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, so Kyle Allen, you're going to get a lot of checkdowns, and that's really good for Antonio Gibson. Like Before Allen left the game, Gibson had four targets and four receptions. Uh, so I really did think like Antonio Gibson was on pace to have such a great game. Uh, but unfortunately, this the Rams defense just obliterated Washington. Uh, 
pretty much all game. And not, nothing was able to actually get rolling. McLaurin had a bust game for you. And he was really the only guy who you were uh, confidently starting this week. I, I, and Antonio Gibson uh, for Washington. And this is just the story of Washington every week. It's going to be you're starting Antonio Gibson. And of course, like, I, I just want to say this. Of course, I hold out on actually starting Gibson for four straight weeks. Like, I would not. I, I've said this on here. I wasn't ready to actually go in until I saw it consistently. And then I saw three straight games of double-digit points. And I'm like, all right, I'm here. Let's go. And then the one week I start him, he does. So, thanks, Washington. Appreciate you for that. And then McLaurin, you're fine. Like, just a, just, like this is just part of the Terry McLaurin experience where you are just going to be in a spot where he plays for a bad football team. And this happens to bad football teams as they just get obliterated. And as a result, obviously, the, the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, the running backs, they're all going to take major fantasy blows. And this was just one of those weeks uh, for Washington. Let's move on to the next game here. And that is going to be the Las Vegas Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs in an upset for the week. Uh, the Raiders got on top early. And honestly, this score makes it look a lot closer than it actually was. The Raiders defeated the Chiefs by a final score of 40-32. to The Raiders are 3-2, and and the Chiefs are 4-1 and now. Uh, Las Vegas handing Kansas City their first loss since November of 2019. An absolute electric winning streak that includes a Super Bowl in there. The Raiders, Derek Carr, balled out, was the number one quarterback on the week. Derek Carr, 22 of 31 for 347 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. Josh Jacobs, 23 carries for 77 yards and a touchdown. He looked really good. Henry Ruggs, my baby boy, back with that hamstring injury in his first game. And yo, oh my God. Only three targets, caught two of them. For 118 yards and a touchdown, he had a, I believe it was like four, let me do math here, it was like 44-yard catch in the first quarter, or it was either the first or second quarter, and then an absolute electric 74-yard touchdown uh, in the game. Just what you expect Henry Ruggs to do, and that's send him deep, he's going to make uh, great plays down the field, and he really was like spark plug for the Raiders offense in this game. Darren Waller came through again per usual, hauling in five of seven targets for 48 yards and a touchdown. On the other side with Kansas City, Mahomes, uh, very, very weirdly as well uh, with with Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City's offense, for whatever reason, has started to... They haven't started to stall in the same way as Baltimore's, but for whatever reason, it just feels a little bit different, and I'm really trying to figure out why that is the case, uh, because Mahomes, again, did not play well. Uh, 22 of 43 for 340 yards, three touchdowns, one being a rushing score, and an interception. Like, of course I say that he didn't play well. Uh, wait, then he was not the... Wait, who was their moving quarterback on the week? I thought it was Derek Carr. It was not Derek Carr because Patrick Mahomes outplayed him. Unless my numbers are just wrong. Can I? Quarterbacks? I'm sorry. Derek Carr was the number five quarterback on the week, not number one. I apologize. That's my bad. Um, but back to what I was saying here. Let me pull back up my, my sheet here. 
But back to what I was saying about uh, the Chiefs here. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 10 carries, 3 for 8 through the air for 80 total yards. Tyreek Hill, 6 targets, 3 receptions for 93 yards and a score. And Travis Kelsey, 108 yards and a touchdown, catching 12 of 8, or I'm sorry, 8 of 12 targets. Um, go trade for Clyde Edwards-Alaire right now. This is something that I've said for, at this point now, three weeks. And, like, ju please just do it. This goes back to what I was saying with Jonathan Taylor. The expectations for these two rookies, these two rookie running backs, especially Clyde, uh, coming in on this Chiefs offense, their expectations were all the way up here. And they've played down here, which has still been fine. Again, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is currently running back 12. He has had... If you want to say week one versus Houston, where he had uh, almost 20 fantasy points, he's had one good game, or one great game, should I say. Everything else, though, has been 10 points, 10 points, 15, and then 9 points this week. Um, there is a window here, like, surprisingly, surprisingly, um, there is still a window here to go trade for Clyde Edwards-Lair. We, we thought that the window would have been shut uh, this week versus the Raiders, who have been awful against uh, defending the running back position this year, uh, but it just didn't materialize. So please go try and get Clyde because it, like the storm is coming again. We, it, it, I, I love how Clyde and Jonathan Taylor, these two rookie running backs who we were all really excited about coming into the season, they all they both had the same narrative right now, which is they've underperformed due to their expectations, but they're still playing great football and they're still producing for fantasy purposes, and people are disappointed by them. Uh, so please go get Clyde, go get Jonathan Taylor, and improve your running back position uh, in your running back room. For your fantasy team because better days are ahead and even if you are settling for 11 fantasy points every single week that's still fine for your number two running back all right um chiefs are, are we uh, talking about anything else are we talking about anything else here really uh, i do want to bring up sammy watkins left this game with a hamstring injury um watkins is expected to miss multiple weeks due to his injury last time i checked and because of that me cole hardman Let's get let's get rolling, Michael. Uh, he he increased his snap percentage yet again. He was on the field when Watkins was out. He ran more routes than Demarcus Robinson. Michael Hardman is going to be the number two wide receiver during Sammy Watkins' absence, and he is a guy who should be available on your waiver wires. All things considered, he hasn't done a whole lot really over the course of the year to warrant being rostered in redraft leagues. Yes, he had two games with back-to-back -back touchdowns, but the production itself wasn't fully there. Uh, he wasn't seeing like having targets. The yardage wasn't there. It really was just touchdown or bust for him so far throughout the year. But now he's actually going to get the opportunity to, con to continue to see an increase in stat percentage, continue to run those routes, continue to be targeted by Patrick Mahomes, and, of course, the deep ball. Uh, the Miko Harvin and Tyreek Hill special is going to live on uh, for the number two uh, for the for the second year wide receiver, should I say, uh, with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, you already know. I don't gotta say anything else there. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for this game. All things considered, a pretty cut and dry game. Actually, I want to go back. I want to go back to the Raiders real quick. I really do. I want to talk about Rugs ju just just a little bit more. You, you guys, you guys know. You guys know. I got to talk about my baby boy. I love him. So, I. Foolishly, evidently, I said I wanted to see it from Ruggs before I was confident throwing him back in my lineup. Uh, that's why I benched him during this this game in Kansas City. And ironically enough, I actually almost considered pulling him uh, into my lineup during. I think it was probably it was probably Sunday morning. It would have had to been uh, during Sunday morning, probably like 10 a.m. I'm just looking at it and it's like, yo, this is a game versus Kansas City. 
Uh, he can easily break through, and if this game gets into a shootout, Ruggs can probably score a touchdown. And I was, I actually like had that thought. I'm like, Ruggs is going to get in the end zone in this game. Like, it just makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, so, of course he does. I don't play him. Uh, and while I want to, I, I do think it's really cool that I've gotten a ton of messages already saying like, I'm, uh, saying, like, I'm putting in Fab to go get Ruggs, or I'm putting a waiver claim on Ruggs, and my, my response is always, welcome to the club. Uh, so... The only thing that I want to say about Ruggs is that he only had three targets, and he played 65% of snaps, like, fine. Uh, but I just, I don't know if you can rely on Ruggs the same way that you can with some of these other rookie wide receivers like a T. Higgins, like a Justin Jefferson, simply just because the volume comparatively isn't there. Um, but we saw what Henry Ruggs did to this offense, and that was just game-changing. Game-changing. Uh, just using the speed. To go deep, open things up. Carr looked good. Carr looked comfortable throwing to him deep, which is nice. You know, it, make, it makes Derek Carr a little bit more aggressive. Um, but really just being able to identify when Ruggs is playable and when he isn't is going to be the challenge. Uh, they have their bye week coming up this week, actually. Uh, so if you want to pick him up now, go ahead. Uh, but he would you might be able to hold off on another week, all things considered. Coming back, then, he has Tampa Bay, Cleveland, the Chargers, and Denver before he plays Kansas City again. Uh, actually, the thing that's actually really exciting about Ruggs is the back half schedule, like the playoff schedule. Week 12 is Atlanta. Week 13 is the Jets. 14 is the Colts, man. Uh, 15 is the Chargers, eh. And then 16 is the is the Dolphins. So things do get a little, a little bit better down the stretch, but I really just want to continue to see his development uh, during the course of his rookie season and him and his role uh, in this Vegas Raiders offense. Alright, let's move on to the next game here. And that is going to be the Dolphins and the Niners. The upset of the week, bar none, I feel like. The Dolphins went to San Francisco and fucking rolled the 49ers by a final score of 43-17. to Both teams are now 2-3 and on the year. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 22 of 28, 350 yards and three touchdowns. Miles Gaskin, we need to talk about him per usual. I get to I get to talk about my gushing love for him, uh, which makes me really excited. 16 carries, five of five through the air, 91 total yards, and a touchdown was able to get the goal line work because Jordan Howard was a healthy scratch in this game. On the receiving options for the Dolphins, Preston Williams, welcome to 2020. Four four receptions, five targets, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Devontae Parker. Two of three targets, 50 yards, and a score. For the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo was back. He played the first half, but he looked utterly abysmal. 7 of 17 for, 70, for 77 yards and two interceptions. He was benched uh, coming out of the locker room at halftime. And C.J. Beathard replaced him. Uh, and he honestly, like Garoppolo wasn't... Garoppolo was benched in part to two reasons. It was both the fact that he played bad, but you have to remember he was also coming off that that high ankle sprain, and there were actually questions of whether or not he would be able to play in this game. Uh, so it looked like that, uh, you know, he gave it a go. Didn't look good, and the team's best option felt like they just needed to pull him at that point. The Dolphins came through and were shredding them uh, already by halftime, and might as well just, like, there's no need to put Jimmy Garoppolo uh, back out there. Raheem Mostert. 11 carries in his return off of that uh, off of that knee sprain. Uh, three targets, three receptions for 109 total yards. And in the receiving game, uh, Kendrick Bourne, two targets, 
I'm sorry, two receptions, four targets for 30 yards and a touchdown. Debo Samuel uh, only had, uh, actually, Debo Samuel had eight targets in this game, excuse me. He is back up to full health. Uh, 88, I'm sorry, yes, 80, 88 uh, percent, percent of snaps played. So if you held out on Debo Samuel and you put him in your IR, if you didn't have an open IR spot, but you still held on to him, uh, Debo Samuel is coming, and that's really exciting. Uh, Brandon Ayuk didn't play well, all things considered. Only hauled in uh, three catches for, for, for 44 yards. And this is just one of those things where even George Kittle had a down week as well. Like I said, the Dolphins came through and just absolutely smacked them. Uh, from start to finish in this game. Things I want to talk about. Um, I'm not concerned about the 49ers offense moving forward. Uh, CJ Beathard, fine quarterback. Like, not fine enough to where, like, the, like that's the thing. Uh, actually, it was Matthew Berry talked about this earlier. He's like, the gap between Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, and CJ Beathard, like, it's not significant enough to really alter your outlook on uh, Devo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, or George Kittle. So if you're starting them, you're going to start them. And if you weren't, you weren't. It really is just, it just doesn't do anything. It doesn't move the needle in that way. Um, talking about the running backs, though, Raheem Mostert comes back, leads the team in carries. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, how many snaps did McKinnon play? I'm actually very curious about this. Yeah, so this is actually uh, the big story here is Jarek McKinnon wasn't involved. <laughs> This is what I was talking about this week when I said you can't play Raheem Mostert or or Jarek McKinnon in this matchup, and that sucked. That like that sucked saying it, and I understood when I said it. I'm like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? This Dolphins defense is bad. You should absolutely be starting them, but no, you you shouldn't have. And the reason why is because we didn't know what this 49ers offense was going to, was going to look like with the return of Mostert. We didn't know what the snap percentage was going to was going to look, was going to look like, excuse me. And we didn't know what the usage was going was going to be. All like in all honesty. So to see Mostert come back and take over as a lead dog, that's encouraging. Mostert fine start moving forward. But again, you have Jared McKinnon playing 25% of snaps, only one carry, gets four targets, uh when he is on the field, doesn't do anything with them. Uh Starting Jarek McKinnon absolutely absolutely killed you uh, this week, you know, and I, I'm one of those guys where if, if I got things wrong, I'll tell you I got it wrong. This one, I think I got right. Um, Mostert came through, like I said, 13 points. Uh, he was fine if you ended up playing him, but if you played McKinnon or if, or if you played uh, Jeff Wilson, who actually got four carries in 27 yards, uh, and you were just trying to decipher and figure out what this 49ers run game was going to be, Hopefully you had Mostert. That's all I'm going to say. Hopefully you had Mostert. Uh, speaking of running games, Miles Gaskin, baby. Miles fucking Gaskin. Let's give it back up to him. Another game of 60 plus percent of snaps, 16 carries, also five receptions. So literally getting 20 plus touches now at this point, almost every single game it feels like. Um, he is just, he is the guy here. And that is so exciting because he was another waiver wire. He was just another waiver. He was another waiver wire ad. Uh, the speculation this offseason was it was it was it would be Jordan Howard. Again, I'll tell I'll tell you when I was wrong. This offseason, I said you need to go get Jordan Howard, uh, and that quickly realized that that was not that was not a good idea. Uh, luckily, Miles Gaskin was completely undrafted everywhere, so I quickly corrected course and was like, you need to go get Miles Gaskin uh, instead. So Gaskin gets the goal line work with Jordan Howard being a healthy scratch. In fact, um, I think, can I, uh, let me just look at Bo Track. 
there was a tweet that came out earlier regarding Jordan Howard's contract situation. Um, let me see. Give me one second here. How often does he tweet? Does he tweet a lot? Can I easily find this? Um, one more second. Come on. Evidently not. Okay, but I basically saw this tweet that said that um, Jordan Howard's contract is basically non-guaranteed and they have an out after this year. Uh, it was a two-year deal, which I already knew. Uh, and so basically what this means is they, with Jordan Howard being a healthy scratch, they lose nothing by it. And so this is absolutely going to be Miles Gaskin's team and his job going forward. Uh, it's officially Miles Gaskin's season. I've only been saying it for the past four weeks. Uh, we're here. We are officially here. Hopefully you were able to go pick him up uh, off your waiver wire a few weeks ago. Cause if you have, you got it. You got a top 24 running back on your hands. Miles Gaskin is currently number 15 in PPR formats. He's actually 17. That can't be right. No, I'm sorry. He's 27 in standard league. So there's a lot more value in PPR formats because he has that pass catching running back as well. He's a three down back guys. And yes, Matt Burita is involved. I'm not too concerned about it because he's still getting, uh, you know, he's still getting 20 plus touches every single game. Devontae Parker, auto start every single week. Mike Kosicki. We need to talk about him. He actually played well this game. Uh, five receptions for 91 yards. He finally came through for you. Preston Williams came through in a big way as well. Um, these are just two guys where you have to make decisions on, all things considered. Uh, Preston Williams is a deep bench stash, all, like in my opinion. I don't know if you're ever confident fully starting him in a week, but with bye weeks, injuries, and COVID, there are weeks where maybe you have to, and you have to like, like again, I've, I, the, even myself, I, but like myself and other people, I've seen the tweets of I've had to start X player in a matchup this week. I, if it weren't for if it weren't for Raheem Mostert coming back, I know somebody would have had to start Gus Edwards as their running back too. Things are this dire right now in the fantasy football landscape that yo sometimes you gotta bite the bullet and you gotta start uh, who you gotta just in order to fill a roster. Uh, for example, I know somebody, and it was actually somebody in my dynasty league. Who had to start? Let's uh, let's pull this up here. Um, I know somebody who had to start Matt Burita and Jordan Wilkins at the running back position because Melvin Gordon and Damian Harris had their games postponed. Like we are in just a time where you need to be flexible. You have to have depth to your roster, and you have to have guys who you are comfortable starting on any given week. And maybe Preston Williams actually does fit that mold. But going back to Mike Kosicki, um. Mike Kosicki actually only played 43% of snaps in this game. Like, I don't know I, I don't know what to do with him. I really, really don't. Didn't find his way into the end zone. I, I just don't think you can rely on Kosicki week in, week out. He's not the tight end option that we all thought he would be. Uh, but it is nice to see, to see him have some sort of fantasy relevance in this matchup. Uh, I talked about San Francisco already. So I think we're good. Let's move on to the next game, shall we? And that is going to be the Sunday night game between the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks. And what a game this was. Um, as somebody who started Chris Carson 
and quickly realized, oh shit, the Minnesota Vikings offense and their game plan is to kill the clock and run it down as much as possible. I did not feel great about how this game was going to go. So the Vikings lose to Seattle, it turns out. The, Se the Seahawks beat Minnesota by a final score of 27-26. to 26. Seahawks improved a 5-0. The Vikings 1-4. Kirk Cousins 27-39 of 39 for 249 yards and two touchdowns. Also had two turnovers as well, an interception and a fumble. Dalvin Cook left this game in the third quarter with a groin injury, but besides that, he was balling out. Cook, 17 carries, 5 of 5 through the year for 89 total yards and a touchdown. Alexander Madison in place of Dalvin Cook, 20 carries, 3 of 3 through the air and 136 total yards. So that offense just kept rolling in the run game without Cook on the field. And Adam Thielen balled out as well, 9 of 13, 80 yards and 2 touchdowns. But the Seattle Seahawks... And this offense is the, is the most fun thing to watch in the NFL this season. Russell Wilson cooks again. 20 of 32, 217 yards, 58 rushing yards, 3 touchdowns, also had an interception. Chris Carson... 8 carries, 6 of 8 through the I'm sorry, 6 of 7 through the air, 79 total yards and a monster touchdown where he basically just ran through uh, the Minnesota Vikings and DK Metcalf balls out for the fifth straight week of the year. 11, or, I'm sorry, 11 targets, 6 receptions for 93 yards and two touchdowns, also the game-winning touchdown. Uh, basically as time expired in this game and Tyler Lockett 4-5 for 44 yards, the letdown game for him. DK Metcalf is the only player with 90-plus receiving yards every single week to start the 2020 season. I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this game. So, I, I quickly realized that, Seattle, or that Minnesota's plan was to kill clock. And if you guys remember, if you guys watched this game, um, the plan was... I'm not even playing. Um, as this game quickly rolled, the Seattle Seahawks got their second possession with seven minutes left in the second quarter. It was one of those things where the time of possession early on in the game was 15 to 5, I believe, at halftime. 15 minutes to 5. No, that doesn't make sense. No. Uh, yeah. It, right. So it'd be for the second. Right. Middle. Middle to. Yes. Middle second quarter. The time of possession was 15 minutes to five it was insane and the, the the Vikings plan was just to run the ball run the ball run the ball kill the clock kill the clock kill the clock and honestly not a bad strategy uh, when you're facing Russell Wilson who is the league's MVP at this point of the season who is lighting every single team that he faces on fire uh, and that strategy proved very well for fantasy purposes with Dalvin Cook balling out Alexander Madison taking over and coming in and doing the exact same thing. Obviously, you probably weren't starting Alexander Madison, all things considered, because Dalvin Cook was healthy entering this game. Uh, but, but just to see both guys uh, play well actually has to be encouraging for the Dalvin Cook owner, who probably should own Alexander Madison as a safety option, because now you have the confidence that if Dalvin Cook misses a few games with this groin injury or a game, should I say, I think, I think, I, I think he's going to miss. He tried to come back played one snap and was like nah I can't do it and then that's when Madison took over took over for the rest of the game so if Dalvin Cook misses next week uh Alexander Madison came in and proved to you that he can be started uh that he can be started during Cook's absence Adam Thielen 
Balling out, the number one option for Kirk Cousins and this Vikings team gets in the end zone twice, 90-plus receiving yards. Thielen's played extremely well this season. He was a guy who was being extremely un undervalued in the pre-draft process, and just to see him continue to impress really isn't, isn't surprising because the, the, the disrespect that he was getting was borderline absurd. He was going in that fourth or fifth round, and he was easily a guy who was going to finish as a top 15 uh, wide receiver. He is currently wide receiver two on the year. This was so obvious, especially with the loss of Stephon Diggs this offseason, that Thielen was going to be the guy, like the number one option uh, in Minnesota. And unfortunately, we all have to, uh, well, this, is, this is my water, but we can take this one. We got to pour one out for Justin Jefferson. The matchup was there. The, the matchup was there. The hot streak was there. And it just didn't materialize. Uh, that's something that we got wrong. Uh, myself, every other fantasy analyst, uh, don't worry, I started him. So if you started him too, I went, I went down with the ship. I went down with you. Uh, Justin Jefferson in a prime matchup, or what was supposed to be a prime matchup, remember entering this game, Seattle was giving up 41.8 points to the wide receiver position. Jefferson comes in, uh, three targets, five reception. I'm sorry, five, five targets, three receptions. I always get that number wrong. Uh, I get those backwards. Uh, three receptions, five targets for 23 yards. And it was really funny watching this game and just hearing Chris Collinsworth in his commentary just keep trying to anticipate the Justin Jefferson big play, and it just never happened, right? It was just one of those games where, again, once I realized, once I realized during that second quarter, and even, honestly, it was during the first quarter, uh, oh, shit, the Vikings are going to kill the clock all game, I knew Justin Jefferson's night was done. There was, there was no if ands, there was no if ands or buts about it. Uh, just immediately, it was, they're going to get the ball, they're going to hand it off, hand it off, hand it off, Short pass to get to move the chains on third down. Hand the ball, hand the ball. Short pass to move the chains on third down. And that was just going to be the cycle uh, that the Vikings used. I mean, they, they were just... They, they, the other thing, too, is they had two. I believe it's two. The Vikings had two drives this game that were so methodical that started at Seattle's five-yard line. And they went all the way downfield. And they just burned clock. Uh, so this just had dud game for Justin Jefferson written all over it pretty quickly. And you, you, you got it. You got to take your medicine sometimes. And this was definitely one of those games moving over to the Seahawks though. Russell Wilson does rust things. Oh my God. Even in games where he doesn't look great. He had a really bad interception in this game. Uh, Russell Wilson. What, what can you say? Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in football right now. It is lights out. It's, I think the thing that's actually really interesting about Russ, and this is something that is going to sound hyperbolic, but I want you to consider what I'm actually saying here. Russell Wilson might actually be the combination of Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Um, and what I mean by that is he has the playmaking ability with his arm of Patrick Mahomes, but he also has the rushing ability of Lamar and I just think that's something that we don't fully realize at times obviously we knew that Russell Wilson is just a great quarterback right but what he's doing so far this year with the cast of with the cast of weapons whether it is Chris Carson on the ground or through the air with him DK Metcalf obviously and Tyler Lockett this team 
true like this offense truly does feel unstoppable right now in a way that I don't know See, like, let's think. I was gonna say, I don't know if we've, I don't know if we've ever seen this per se, but like, we've, but like, we've, I know, I know that, I know saying that is wrong because we saw Baltimore last year and we saw Kansas City the year before and even during the postseason. Um, it, but basically, though, like, for me, it like the three, the three, the, the three pantheon teams right now. It's Kansas City, it's Baltimore, and it's Seattle. And it's it's so fun. It's so fun to see these three great quarterbacks at the top of the league, and all of them are just cooking. And yes, yes, Lamar's played bad, and I've already talked about him in this video. Um, and Russ is just through the roof, and Mahomes is just kind of staying above water, going a bit up and down as he tries to really navigate this post sleepover or this post this post Super Bowl hangover a bit. Uh, regardless, just Seattle. Just Seattle. Like, that's the tweet, right? We've been saying this uh, for the past five weeks. Start everybody on Seattle. Russ, Carson, Metcalf, Lockett. It's been so much fun to see them ball out. Um, and this was the thing entering the week that I was really talking about. And I've spent a lot of time talking about it already, I feel like. Um, really just trying to understand what Chris Carson's value is uh, this season. Because the big thing was, well, if let Russ Cook happens, does that tank Chris Carson's value? And really trying to figure out where I personally landed on that. Because, like, the argument is, yes, it tanks his value because he's not going to get the goal line work and he might get limited rushing rushing, rushing attempts. But then if they let Russ Cook and this offense is better, that means that they're going to move the ball, score more points, and they can really do more things on offense. And I think the second part, the latter, is where I'm at. Because we've seen now Chris Carson with two games this year where he's, where he's had carries of six and eight, respectively. And he's still getting in the end zone. He's still getting it done. In a game like this with eight carries, he gets six receptions, right? Finishes the game with 16.9 fantasy points and half-point formats. It really is impressive. So I'm at this point now, like, Chris Carson, like, you're good. I have no worries for Chris Carson moving forward. I knew I, I never really had great concerns. It was just one of those things we're trying to evaluate what, what Chris Carson actually was for fantasy purposes this season. I have my answer, and he is legitimately a top-five running back. For the rest of the year, he is that impressive uh, for this team. DK Metcalf, I mean, what else can you say? What else can you say? He is the number one wide receiver in standard. He's number four in PPR, 90 plus receiving yards in every single game, a touchdown machine. He's six foot four. He's a monster human being. He's fast. He's strong. He's physical. He's athletic. I, I'm at a loss for words. This wasn't unexpected from me. If you've listened uh, to my my history with DK Metcalf, you guys know how much I loved him. I loved him coming out of college. I thought it was absurd that he wasn't drafted in the first round. I thought it was absurd that multiple teams passed on him twice. The Packers passed on him three times. Um, drafting, again, isn't this hard. Uh, if NFL GMs and just GMs in general and all sports make, make drafting way more complicated than it needs to be. DK Metcalf was a surefire pick coming out of college, and the fact that there was questions about his game was utterly insane. So to see him come out and do this in year two and just continue to absolutely set the game on fire is super fucking dope. I tweeted about this yesterday. Uh, JJ Zacharyson tweeted that, uh, D that DK Metcalf is dynasty wide receiver one, and I said, not now. JJ, I'm grieving. 
If you guys don't know the story, I traded DK Metcalf in June. This would have been when did I? When was my rookie draft? My rookie draft was June thirtieth. I'm not June. I'm in August. Uh, my rookie draft was August thirtieth, and there was a deal all off season long um, between me and another owner who loves DK just as much as I do, and the offer was going to be AJ Brown and a second round pick for DK Metcalf, and we were both kind of on the fence for it. Uh, all off season long, I mean, th th that was the deal that was being discussed in June. And then the draft happens uh, in, in August, and he actually takes the running back that I really wanted, and that was Zach Moss uh, coming into his rookie season in Buffalo. So I, after the draft, I'm like, hey, I'll do it. I'll do, uh, I'll do DK for A.J. Brown and Zach Moss. Deal was done pretty much immediately. And again, the reason why I did that deal, and I still, I was explaining this on Twitter yesterday, I still think this is a great deal. Um, A.J. Brown, we haven't seen on the field yet, but we know what he's done during his rookie season. And it's funny, out last night to cope with DK Metcalf, I actually went through and I was putting on A.J. Brown highlights and watching those to make myself feel better about the trade. Because it's no fun seeing you trade away the number one wide receiver, right? And you're seeing everybody just gas him up and just praise DK Metcalf. Uh, so it's never fun to see that after you just traded him away. Uh, but I never, I haven't been able to see my side of the deal on the field yet, right? A.J. Brown was hurt with that knee injury and obviously the COVID games. And then for Zach Moss, who's battling a toe injury uh, for the past few weeks as well. So I haven't been able to see my end of the deal. Uh, but regardless, I felt like I was getting back a top five wide receiver in, in return, like in terms of like career trajectory, right? So like I felt like DK and AJ were on the same trajectory, all things considered. They were both going to be top three, top five wide receivers. And then just getting the additional asset and Zach Moss back, and I've talked about this in this video, how much I love running backs and just the value that they, the value that running backs hold to me. It was almost a no-brainer to make that to make that deal, and I got the running back that I wanted to draft in my rookie draft anyway. Um, so I'm still I'm still fine with the deal. Just hurts a little bit because I haven't been I haven't been able to see my end of the bargain hold up. All right, let's move on to another game. I almost just hit the wrong button there. All right, let's move on to another game here, and that is the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. And what a game this was! I took the Cowboys in my survivor pool. And they, they, ba they barely escaped, defeating the New York Giants by a final score of 37-34. to The Giants dropped to 0-5, the Cowboys 3-2. But the big story here, before I even get to any of the stats, that is Dak Prescott. Uh, Dak Prescott, it was either the third or fourth quarter, I don't even really remember because everything that happened after that was such a blur. Um, Prescott rolls out, scrambles, gets hit. And just gets the entire defender on his leg. Compound fracture in his ankle. Um, there were reports that the bone was uh, out of the skin, unfortunately. And it was one of those things where everything stopped at that point in time. And we've seen injuries like this before. Um, I was actually in, I was at the queue. I was at Quicken Loans Arena. Uh, the night that Gordon Hayward snapped his ankle, I was there. I saw it. I was. That was so. That was wild. But I think, because that was one of those things where, I was there, but I was in. I was in the nosebleeds. But like, if you if if you ever if you've ever been to Quicken Loans Arena, you guys know that the way that the queue is designed, there really is no such thing as a nosebleed seat. 
uh, you have a pretty good view of pretty much everything. And I was actually on the side of where it happened, and it was like right in front of me. So I'm looking down, and go Hayward goes up for the dunk, comes down, and the angle is sideways, and I'm just like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Um, it was very, yeah. I've, you guys, you guys know the video. It's like it's all viral. You guys know what happened. But so seeing Dak's ankle, I like that's my. This is my long-winded way of seeing, of saying that seeing Dak's ankle sideways. Can I get this out? Thank you. Seeing Dak, seeing Dak's ankle sideways, um, wasn't as gruesome to me as initially as as like as some other people. Um, and granted, it wasn't at the same rotational level as Gordon Hayward's because Hayward, Hayward Hayward's was completely sideways. Um, but to see, uh, Dak's ankle like that and just the like the air let out of the of uh, of Cowboy Stadium and the coaches and the players just like distraught in a way. I, ugh, not fun. Injuries, injuries aren't fun, and obviously the fact that Dak um, hasn't gotten paid yet uh, adds another layer to this. Fuck the Cowboys for not paying Dak. Um, but I guess going back to this game, we have we, we have we have fantasy implications to talk about here. Um, Daniel Jones continues to struggle. This is nothing new. I talked about this all, all, all offseason long. Daniel Jones, I was not excited about him coming into the season. Uh, 20 of 33, 22, or 222 yards and a fumble. Uh, Daniel Jones has eight turnovers on the year and only two passing touchdowns. Devonta Freeman is the bell cow running back here. You need to go pick him up on waiver wires immediately. 17 carries, 87 total yards, and a touchdown. And Darius Slayton, like I said, I expect him to have a great game this week. He came through for you. 11 targets, 8 receptions for 129 yards. And like I said, this was, like this, this matchup had Slayton game written all over it. For Dallas, Prescott before he went out with that ankle injury. Um, 14 of 21, 166 passing, 1 touchdown, 1 interception. Zeke, obviously going to do Zeke things. 19 carries, 91 total yards, and 2 touchdowns. I'm sorry, just 91 rushing yards, not total yards. He actually did a few yards uh, through the air as well. And then finally, uh, C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb looks so fucking legit. We're going to talk about him in just a moment. Eight, eight receptions on 11 targets, 124 yards. And Michael Gallup. The Michael Gallup game kind of happened. Uh, four for four for 73 yards. So let's talk about this real quick. Um, we'll talk about the Giants first because there's not a whole lot to talk about here, all things considered. Uh, the big thing here is Devonta Freeman. There, I think, I don't know the exact percentage of where Devonta Freeman is rostered, but I know for a fact he was just recently picked up off my off my waiver wire. So I'm, I'm going to assume and go out on the limb to say that he's going to be still available in some leagues, and you have to go get him now at this point. The Giants are now dead set on making him their lead running back. Um, it's not even close. He's being involved in the receiving game as well. You can play Devonta Freeman week in and week out now if he is going to continuously get... Uh, 17 carries and get some work through the air as well. The one bright spot really in this Giants offense. Uh, Slayton, not much I need to say here. I still don't know when you are ever fully confident in starting him. Uh, he's another guy who really is matchup dependent for me. Um, and then let's just, let fuck it. We're just going to talk about the Cowboys now real quick. I'm not going to... I still don't really know where I land on this, all things considered. Um, Andy Dalton, when he played and when he came in, he was 9 of 11 
for 111 yards, and he led the game-winning drive. So, and we we know from Andy Dalton's career, he's been a fine fantasy quarterback. Um, he actually has the weapons here to be a very good fantasy quarterback. Um, I'm not going to go out and say top 10 or top 12, but I think Andy Dalton is going to be startable for you every single week. Um, he's kind of in that similar category for me as Gardner Minshew, as Matt Stafford, just that guy who, who should be able to get you at a minimum uh, 17 fantasy points for you week in and week out. Uh, for me, the question really becomes, what do we do with this Cowboys receiving core of uh, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper? Cooper absolutely busted for you uh, this game. And Dalton Schultz, even. Um, for me, this is going to sound out. Who does, who does Dallas play next week? Oh, they play Arizona. Fuck. Okay. Since they play Arizona... Okay. They play Arizona. Teams are starting to go on bye weeks next week. I know Seattle has a bye. Okay. So with that being said, um, we're still going to roll off of the basis. You are starting your Cowboys every single week. This offense, even without Dak, still has the pieces that are too good to fail. Um, yes, Andy Dalton is not Dak Prescott, but Andy Dalton is still a fine quarterback. And the reason why the Cowboys brought in Andy Dalton was because of this. Uh, because of this, for this reason right here, if anything were to happen to Dak, Dalton can slide right in and be perfectly fine uh, with the cast of weapons that they have. So, for this upcoming week, and I'm going to talk about this obviously from my uh, Cardinals and Cowboys preview. We're still going to roll with the Cowboys offense here. The pieces are too good. The talent is there. And this defense still being bad, giving up 34 points to the fucking Giants, um, is still awful. So points have to be scored in order for games to be won here in Dallas. And that just means fantasy-relevant players are going to be abundant and they're going to continue to be so, even without Dak Prescott leading this team. But we got one final game here to talk about. And that is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. So let's jump to that box score real quick. The Steelers come through and improve to 4-0, defeating the Eagles in the, in the Battle of Pennsylvania. I don't know what you guys call it over there. 38-29. Uh, the Eagles are now 1-3-1. Carson Wentz continues to look meh. And that was 20-35 of 35 for 258 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Uh, Miles Sanders... Uh, Miles Sanders' game looks better than it actually was. His stat line, 11 carries for 80 yards and two touchdowns. Miles Sanders had 74 yards come off of one play, and that was the monster touchdown run that he had. Uh, so if you were to take that away, it really wasn't a great day for him whatsoever. Travis Fulgham, wow, what a performance he had. 10 of 13, 152 receiving yards and a touchdown. He's a guy who we're going to be talking about. And Zach Ertz duds yet again. I don't know what the fuck is happening here with him, man. One one reception, six targets, six yards. We're going to have to spend some time talking about Zach Ertz here. Going over to the Steelers, though, and the winning team in this, in this battle. Big Ben balls out yet again. 27-38, to 38, 239 yards and three touchdowns. James Conner, 
Again, when James Conner is healthy, you are playing him. There is no if, ands, or buts about this. 14, or I'm sorry, 15 carries, 400 and um, 400. Imagine, yeah. With the way that I'm hyping him up, he might have, he might as well have 400 yards, uh, 44 yards and a touchdown. Chase, fucking Claypool. Seven of 11. 110 yards and four touchdowns three of them were receiving touchdowns and one was a uh, reverse pass uh, So that counts as a rushing touchdown uh, And Deontay Johnson left this game in the second quarter due to a back injury. We, we got a few things to talk about here uh, From this game. Let's talk. Let's, let's start off with the Eagles real quick uh, Miles Sanders just again uh, that 74 yard touchdown run makes his game look way better than it actually was but regardless points are points and we're gonna take it I said in this I said uh, in my preview you were still starting Miles Sanders because you had to, but you had to really lower your expectations. Uh, so to see him come through in a game like this and really just put on a show was really cool. Uh, let's see here. For the wide receiving core, Travis Fulgham, we just need to... I'm just. I'm really trying to figure out what to do with him, in all honesty, right? Um, this is a guy, Alshon Jeffrey... Might be back next week. Deshaun Jackson might be back next week. But Travis Fulgham, just a name to keep an eye on, just in case these guys aren't. Uh, they actually play Baltimore next week, so it's not a great matchup by any means. Uh, but Fulgham, like 13 targets in this game. He was the clear-cut number one, one wide receiver. He got it done in the end zone now in back-to-back -back games. And it looks like he has some level of chemistry with Carson Wentz. So he's not a name that we can fully ignore. Um, what I would actually do and I think this is actually a pretty interesting idea. I would consider picking up Fulgham off waivers. I wouldn't spend a ton on him, all things considered. But I would pick him up this week. See if Alshon Jeffrey or Deshaun Jackson are active. And depending on if they are, I would then either keep Fulgham or I would uh, cut him again and pick back up whoever I dropped. I think that's a bit of an interesting strategy. Uh, for this week just because if he is going to get 10 target or I'm sorry if he is going to get 13 targets catch 10 passes in a game where they should be trailing versus Baltimore there is opportunity for Fulgham to have another great game uh, let's talk about Zach Ertz real quick and then we'll shift back over uh, to the Steelers Ertz just isn't getting it done the snaps are there the targets are there um Five, seven, four. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Those were those were the, those were the those were the reception totals. Uh, seven, seven, ten, five, six. The targets are there. He's just not coming through. Um, plays Baltimore, then the Giants, then Dallas, then a bye week. Um, what do you do with Zach Ertz? Dallas Goddard's still out with that ankle injury. So what I would likely do, I think it's. I really think you have to say the course of them. I really do. Um, just judging off of the landscape of the tight end position, how many tight ends are actively going to be available? I'm going to pull this up right now. Um, let's go season. All right. So, for example, right, Kelsey, Andrews, Waller. Um Robert Tanyan is currently the number four tight end, but that's because of the big week. Um, he's actually a guy, if Tanyan's on your waiver wire, I'd rather have Tanyan rest of the season than Zach Ertz. I'd rather have Zach Ertz over Mike Kosicki. Um, George Kittle, obviously. I'd rather have Kittle. Uh, but just going through like the list here just a little bit, the tight end landscape, again, just is in utter shambles 
We thought this year it would be it would be so good and it just hasn't been. And that's the reason why I'm going to continue to stick it out with Zach Ertz because of the fact of your options are, because of the fact that your options are so limited now at this point and the tight ends who are, who who you're actually confident in picking up week in and week out unless you want to try and stream the position every single week um, that's maybe an interesting debate that you could have but for now I'd keep Ertz. Maybe you maybe there's, a, there's maybe there's a team in your league that rosters multiple tight ends and you want to try and pry one away. That's an option for you. Uh, but as currently stands, I think you I just think you have to roll with the punches still. Uh, it's not fun. It's never a good time to start a tight end who's underperforming in this way. Uh, but with this Eagles offense, there's still not a whole lot of weapons there. And Zach Ertz should be able to get it done, and he just hasn't for you uh, for one reason or another. So with Ertz, I'm going to hold him because I, I'm, I'm holding him because I don't anticipate that there is a better option on your waiver wire than Zach Ertz. Again, the number one target I'd look for is Robert Tanyan, and if not Tanyan, then maybe Jonu Smith is on your waiver wire still. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, let me see. let me do this real quick. Uh, I'm going to so I'm gonna look up um, at player. I'm gonna look up the availability of some tight ends right now. Um, let's go roster. There we go. Okay, so Robert Tanyan in ESPN leagues is currently rostered in forty. And 48%. Austin Hooper, who's seeing increased in targets and increased volume in Cleveland. I talked about him already in this video. Um, he is seeing 45% uh, of... He's being... I'm sorry. He's being rostered in 45% of leagues. Uh, he's another name to keep an eye on. Uh, let's see. Anybody else, though? Like, are we really going to go with TJ Hawkinson? I mean, maybe. He's seeing actually more work than I anticipated he would. Um, Hawkinson's an interesting name. If you want to roll the dice on, it's never a fun thing, but Jimmy Graham has weekly touchdown potential week in and week out. So if you want to spin that wheel, you can. Uh, but I think you really get the point now. And if you've, if you've been paying attention to the tight end landscape with, uh, Tyler Higby being, going, going here, then down here. Uh, Noah Fant obviously being injured. Uh, Hayden Hurst, dead. Tyler, or uh, who's another who's another name I can throw out real quick? Uh, Chris Herndon. The expectation would he would be up here and he's down here at the bottom. So the tight end landscape is all of a sudden a barren wasteland. So if you have Zach Ertz, you got to make that decision. I'd probably keep him and just roll with it. Uh, it's been tough sledding, but hopefully better days are ahead because again the targets and the snaps are there for him. Uh, moving over to the Steelers real quick though. Uh, ben Roethlisberger needs to be rostered. Um, it's it really is unbelievable 20 plus fantasy points i think in every single game he's played really well he his cast of weapons is superb between james connor deontay johnson who's been injured more than him in just a bit juju and then chase claypool eric ebron like he's just got a cast of weapons here that he can just gunsling to and that's got to be really great for a quarterback to be aging to have the confidence and the talent around him to continue to put up great numbers uh james connor whoo you're starting every single week it's 
It's it's my favorite thing. The James Conner hate went too far this offseason, and you were able to get him at such a value in that fourth, fifth, or sixth round territory. Uh, just so to see him produce in the way that he has, it's been super, super cool. Uh, in terms of the receiving options here, I'm not going to panic about Juju. Um, just trying to figure out where Juju fits into the grand scheme of things. Luckily, he was being drafted in a spot where maybe he's not your normal wide receiver, but he's more so your two, and he's fine for you in that role. Um, but with Juju, it really is just understanding that there are other guys now in this offense. So what Juju's actual ceiling is is to be determined, uh, but I still feel pretty confident what Juju's floor is on a week-in, week-out basis. Uh, this matchup versus... Uh, Philadelphia wasn't a great one. Um, I know I got a lot of tweets saying that Darius Slay, one of the best corner, corners uh, in the NFL, was on Juju pretty much all game. So that's obviously going to take away from Juju's production. And that's something that I honestly didn't even consider uh, in factoring uh, Juju Smith-Schuster for the week. Because Juju, Juju for me is just a guy where if you got him, you're probably going to play him uh, week in and week out. Chase Claypool... Um, I whiffed on Chase Claypool. I did. Uh, this offseason, during my Dynasty stuff, uh, just going through wide receivers, and obviously this is one of the best wide receiver class, maybe of all time, but with the way that, with the way that things have shaken out uh, early on here. So to see Chase Claypool play well is just another testament to how deep this draft class was. Uh, just going through Chase Claypool and breaking out some of his tape and just my projection for him in the NFL, I honestly really didn't even see it. Uh, but, of course, he goes to a great organization with uh, coaches that know how to maximize players and talents. And he's balled out. Uh, just to see him have a game where he scores four touchdowns, uh, being targeted 11 times, it's, uh, it's wild. People are going to chase points, though, and that's not a pun. That, 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 an un, that is an unintended pun here. So people are going to chase points with Chase Claypool, and I actually think that that might be the wrong strategy. Um, Claypool is going to continue is going to continue to be good. He is, especially if Deontay Johnson continues to miss time due to his variety of injuries, being concussed, and now this back injury, that, which I think is going to keep him out for probably a week or so. Um, so Claypool should be rostered, but let's not get crazy and throw him into our lineup immediately uh, if Deontay Johnson is out. Maybe by all means, go ahead, right? In that case, you got the green light to do it. But I'm not going to be uh, in a place where I'm going to rush and chase the points and throw them into my lineup immediately. Uh, Mike Clay pointed this out of ESPN. Chase Claypool has four touchdowns on the year without a single red zone target. Um, and that's borderline absurd. He was making the point that regression is coming, and you got, you got to kind of agree to that. Uh, but I guess what that being said is what does the, what does he look like when he actually does get those red zone looks? Uh, so while yes, the argument that red zone or that regression is coming for him, there's actually the argument for the other side that he's only going to continue to get better and better and better because of the fact that he, has, that he hasn't that he hasn't even been targeted at that point of the field. So Chase Claypool is a guy who I'm gonna look to add. I wouldn't go crazy. On Fab for him, I got because I don't think he's going to be an absolute game breaker by any means. Uh, but if you needed to and you're needy at wide receiver, he's definitely probably one of the top priorities uh, on the week. Uh, anything else here? I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it uh, for this game. And and if I'm not mistaken, that is the last game of the week. 
The Chargers and Saints are currently playing right now. It's halftime. The score is 20 to 10. So I'm going to have to probably do a, a quick recap of the first half uh, when I get done recording this video. So before, but before that, though, first off, thank you for watching. If you stuck around this long, two hours and six minutes. Let's go. I love this. Being able to just knock everything out all at once instead of having to stop and record, stop and record 17 different times. Because what that did for me, that was so exhausting in the point where... I would look I, like I got that this piece of paper from earlier. Okay, can, can I focus up here? This piece of paper from earlier. There we go. Oh, that's really bad. I'm not even gonna try and mess with the focus here. Uh, it's basically a list of every single game. So what I have to do is I would go through and I would x off, x off, x off, and that was just so exhausting uh, because at some point covering 16 games, you'd be like, "Fuck, I still have 10 more of these things to do. Fuck, I still have seven more of these things to do." Um, which obviously I love, I love talking fantasy, right? And it's stuff that I would normally be doing anyway with, with like friends or family. Uh, but just going through the gauntlet 16 straight times, uh, it's, it was just a bit more than I anticipated it to be. Again, if you've missed it, or if you just forgot what I said in the first part of the video, the plan is to upload this entire thing into one video, also upload it as a podcast as well. I'm likely, I'm likely going to timestamp where each game is at, so if you want to jump around that way. But one of the things that I'm also going to do is I'm going to uh, upload each game on an individual basis as well, just because I really do love that style uh, for me and for my content. Again, you can follow me on all social media platforms at FFVulture. Subscribe down below so you never miss a video from me. And remember, people come and go, but fantasy championships are forever. And I will see you for our week six game previews. Actually, we're going to have to finish up week five with Monday night and Tuesday night football. All right, I'm out. Later.